Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Slot and a nice defensive play. Blues knock it away. Shin with Cairo and Pareko. Shin shoots. He scores. And he's got two on the night. 35 seconds into the second period. Blues get it in. Letty shoots. He scores. Kiss that. 3 nothing. St. Louis. Now it's Barbashev going over the line. In. Looking. He scores. All that pressure on one end. And they rush up the ice. O'Reilly tucks it in. One second to go, and that'll do it. You can bring out the Zamboni. Blues over the Florida Panthers. A good win here tonight. Six to two the score. And they just built as that game went along. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That's what it sounded like last night as the Blues do what they've done every time that they've played since the All-Star break, and that's win. All they're doing right now is winning. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Come on, T-Bone. Alex, you buying in yet? My head go up and down. (laughs) That's the same song, isn't it? (laughs) No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. That's ludicrous. I don't think so. That's the same song. I do know that song. That's not it. He said, my hands go up and down. I don't want to finish the lyric on radio because I like my job. All right. Uh, the Blues won 6-2 last night against the lowly Florida Panthers. Worth noting Whoa. that they were on the backside of a back-to-back. <laughs> and they had a goalie who hadn't played since January That guy 8th. is terrible. He, <laughs> he allowed five goals against the Blues in November, too. It's not good. This is the first team that the Blues have swept so far this season. You love to see it coming up against the team that ended up acquiring Matthew Kachuk. Alex, in all seriousness... This is a question that people are asking, right, wrong, or indifferent. They've now won two straight since the All-Star break. Scored six goals in both of the games. The Blues back? <laughs> really? That's where we're at, huh? I mean, they're 25, 25, and 3. Back to 500. Kinda. What do you mean, kinda? I mean, he it's lost three games record. over time. You're technically below 500 by points percentage. It's all that fun stuff. No, but point percentage says 500. I'm looking at true. it right now. Yeah, well, well, this is embarrassing for you. Hold on, T-Bone. Get ready for the victory lap. Victory lap! No, they're not back. Okay. This was a great performance, honestly, and I tweeted it last night. However you feel about this Blues team this season, you can't deny the performance they put on the ice last night against Florida. Sure, it was a team that was in a back-to-back position, but it was also a team that was two points out of a wild card spot. They kind of needed that victory, and the Blues found a way to really eliminate the offense up until that third period. In the third period, I can understand it. You can call it an excuse. I call it an explanation. 
they were without two players. They were playing two guys down. So, yeah, they were going to allow 18 shots on goal, which is never a good thing. But I, I still can't sit here and say that the Blues are back because I've seen this team play when they were three points out of a playoff spot back in December, and they kept laying dud after dud after dud. But what I can say is that was a that was a building block after a bad game against the Arizona Coyotes that you found a way to win, and that was a good all-around performance by the Blues. But to stop the narrative of people saying, oh, we can get in the playoffs now. Yeah, we can. I've seen crazier things happen. I could absolutely see this Blues team just basically giving everything the middle finger and saying, yeah, we traded away Vladdy and O'Reilly and Barbashev, and now we'll go on a run. But I don't believe they make the playoffs because everybody else around them, in my opinion, is a better team. So I did some math this morning, Alex. Math is a wonderful thing. Some people around here are allergic to it, but math nonetheless is important sometimes. I like like math. So right now, the Minnesota Wild have 61 points. That's good. They have 29 games remaining. That's good. They are the team that currently holds the final wild card spot in the Western Conference. So let's use them just as an example. If, and this is a hypothetical scenario where basically everything goes in the way of the Blues, right? Teams in front of you stink. The Wilds kind of fall on their faces. They end up going 500 the rest of the season. I don't think it's particularly likely that the Wild, the Flames, and the Predators all go 500 or worse the rest of the season. But that's that's what this scenario would require. If that happened, the Wild would finish the year with a with 90 points. For the Blues to reach 90 points this season, Alex, they would have to go something like 17-9-3 the rest of the way. Do they have that in them? From what I've seen this season, no. But I can also say I would not put it past them to go on a run. Uh, Bennington's quote after the game last night, which I thought was just perfect Jordan Bennington. You probably hated it because you hate Jordan Bennington. But he said, we're going to keep our heads down, our mouths shut, and take it game by game. And he, he he also said that, you know, we're kind of buying into the system. And I told Joe on post game, I kind of hate that they're saying that they're buying into the system on February 15th when they would have bought into the system back in October. We might be talking about a little bit of a different outcome. Yeah, Vladdy might still be here. But look, they're, they're going to trade Ryan O'Reilly. They're going to trade Ivan Barbashev. This team is going to look different. Okay. But you also put more of a onus on these guys who don't want to go into the night quietly, like a Braden Shen, who had two goals last night, like a Brandon Saad, like a Jordan Bennington. I can obviously see this team stealing victories from other teams because you always get that at the end so of the season. you're predicting 17-9-3. No, I'm not predicting 17-9-3. You weren't listening. Listen, man, listen to me right now. They can do it. I don't think they could. But it is very possible that this team could play spoiler in the final couple weeks of the season and get close to 17 wins. They're not going to win 17 games the rest of the year. Did I say win 17? I said close to 17. I know. What I'm saying is this is not happening. And I'm sorry to pee in everybody's Cheerios coming off of yesterday's game, which was fun. That was a fun game to watch. 
Blues looked good offensively. I didn't think they were particularly good defensively, but Jordan Bennington once again stu- stood on his head. What are you talking about? They held him to 18 shots in the first two periods. Yeah. That's a team that averages 36 a game. Yeah, Florida looked exhausted. They had zero legs in the entire game. They didn't play. Prote- I, I You're didn't- not only peeing in the Cheerios, you're taking a dump in the Cheerios, too. That's fine. They also stunk on Saturday, let's be honest, against Arizona, and they were lucky to find a way to get out with a win in that one. Coming up next, why the Chiefs <laughs> actually won the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, and it had nothing to do with cheating. Um, I, th- this team just isn't very good and they need to sell off the assets. They need to recoup the draft picks. They need to reshuffle the, the board, the chess board, so to speak. And hopefully next year you get some better results and you've got a better, better hand to be able to play. Like that's, that's where they're at right now. That being said, <laughs> Randy did have something interesting earlier today, and we're getting a lot of these texts. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text. I love the 636. Suck it, BK and Alex. We are back. And we just need 70% of the remaining points to be a playoff team. It'll be great. Can't wait for it. Randy said this earlier today on the morning show, and I'll be honest, surprised me a little bit to hear this. The Blues 14-21-3 with Vladdy in the lineup during this season. 11-4 now without him. There were rumblings many years ago, and I I used to hear that one of the complaints of Vladdy, and I I mentioned this on the air, was that players that were on the ice with him didn't know where he was going to be at any particular time. You're trying to play within a system. I don't know if that became a problem again with Vladimir Tarasenko, but if it did, it could certainly lend itself to why the record with him and without him is the way it is. Why do we do this? When one player's off the team, it's, oh, this team must be better without that guy. I mean, to be fair, this was something that was discussed while he was here. True. Just asking, why do we do this? Hey, trust me, I asked the same question when Vladimir Tarasenko was here as to why we do this with Vladdy. We do it with Jordan Cairo. We do it with anybody that's not like the classic two-way player that's a gritty, grimy, grinded-out punch him in the face type of a player. We do that all the time. The only area that I will agree with Randy on them being better without Vladdy is on the power play. Because I did feel like you were at the point where everybody was trying to get the puck to Vladdy and Vladdy wasn't the guy that you try and get the puck to because he's not a David Perron with those one-time shots. He's in a bad position in terms of trying to take those shots and it doesn't work and you get no coincidence power play goals in back-to-back games without him. But overall as a team... I mean, let's be real. Vladdy was underperforming this season, this season, especially when he returned. And maybe there is a little bit more ease to the game for line combinations when Vladdy's not out there. Even Curbs has brought it up that, you know, if Kairou's not on a line with Vladimir Tarasenko, maybe you're stopped trying to get the puck to Vladdy and you kind of delegate it out to more different, or different people that are on the lines rather than focusing on one. But I also look at it and say, I don't think this has anything to do with Vladdy, why the Blues are playing better. And more to do with the fact that this was an eye-opener for a lot of those guys in that locker room. When somebody gets traded, it's, we need to start playing better. I also think it's just like, they've won games this season. This is not the first time that we've seen them play well in a two-game stretch. But they did go on that stretch when Vladdy and O'Reilly and Krug were out for a while. Sure, and that's why I'm saying it's unsustainable. 
What we're watching right now is something that we have seen before with the Blues. If this is something that they continue the rest of the season, I will eat my words. I will eat this piece of paper that has the math that I did earlier today. Well, T1 still needs to eat his underwear. If the Blues suddenly become a team that down the stretch wins 20 of their last 29 games, and they do so without Vladimir Tarasenko, I will look back and say, whoever you are in the text line right now that is saying a Vladimir Tarasenko is the problem, you were right. Because then you will have a sustained period of time this season in which they were significantly worse when Vladimir Tarasenko was on the ice. At some point, it stops being correlation and starts being causation, where he's the problem. Right now, I don't believe that to be the case. I I don't think that this team has 20 out of 29 in them. I I don't think that this team has a a stretch of playing sustained high-level hockey regardless of who the opponents are. I think what you're probably going to see over the next three weeks as they play New Jersey, Colorado, Carolina, Pittsburgh, and Seattle, I think you'll start to see them fall off again. And I think that when that happens, when in my opinion, not if, we will all have a clear head as to what this team needs to do as we get closer to the trade deadline, and that is to sell off these assets. It's not a playoff team. It's a team that is much more likely to get a top five pick than it is to finish in a conference finals or something like that. So that's where I stand on them today. I don't think Vladimir Tarasenko was the problem. I think they have a lot of problems, and we just haven't seen them show up quite as much over the last two games because they played Arizona in one of them. Well, and the problem showed up against Arizona. I mean, they were awful defensively. Last night's game, the forwards were back-checking. Mike Van Ryan had a great quote afterwards saying, we're a better team as a five-check than a four-check. I mean, they were just, they were invested in that game last night. The problem with this Blues team is the investment doesn't sustain for a long stretch. It sustains for a couple of games and then one game goes wrong and then next thing you know, you're trying to figure exactly. out what the hell happened. And I like, is there some truth to maybe Vladdy at this point wasn't the dude that they wanted to be around and in the locker room? could have been a distraction at this 100%. point. 100%. I totally believe that that could be the case. Absolutely. Do I think this team is genuinely worse on the ice because of Vladimir Tarasenko? No, I, I don't believe it. I don't. And if they prove me wrong down the stretch, I would be the first to admit that I was wrong. I, right now, I, I don't believe that to be the case. I don't think that they're going to suddenly start winning 60% of their games, 65% of their games, because Vladimir Tarasenko is no longer on the team. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley, otherwise called Buzz Killington, here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Here. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into some NFL quick hitters, including a pretty significant report that just came out from Jason Locke and four. If you're a bears fan, you're going to want to tune in for that coming up in about 15 minutes or so before we get to Nolan Gorman, though, potentially being the Cardinals breakout candidate guys, it's officially baseball season. I thought yesterday was officially baseball season per the Rangers general manager, Chris Young, Jacob deGrom felt tightness in his left side in his bullpen session a couple of days ago. Great job, Mo. There's cold weather coming into Arizona. The field conditions aren't great. And therefore, Texas is going to hold him back a day or two. Chris Young, though, this is good news, said it's all precautionary. Okay. Yeah, I heard that before All with right. Jack Flaherty and Alex Reyes, and yeah. look what that happened. All right, Rangers. That five-year yeah. deal off to a yeah. great start. See you in June, Jacob. Who could have seen this coming, though, really? I mean, Jacob DeGrom getting hurt, side tightness, who I'm could have seen it coming? I'm sure one of you out there on our Air Comfort Service text line land was like, ah, oh, Mo should have signed Jacob DeGrom for that contract. I will say, I didn't see much of that. Saw a lot of it with Carlos Rodon, a lot of it with Justin Verlander. I don't think I saw a single text all offseason saying that the Cardinals should have signed that one. That that was a new one. What are you talking about? We just got a text from the 636. You guys are idiots.
No I'm assuming it's talking about Jacob DeGrom. Speaking of that, good news. Just saw this uh, from Jeff Jones. No red flags on anybody for the St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> yeah. Now, with what that being said, flags? Gio is not at camp day due to a family matter, but there are no red flags, though, in terms of injuries for the Cardinals pitching early on. Day two. Crazier things have happened. I mean, this is typically when we hear, like, Michaelis, Jack, one of the Somebody's guys at the front end of the right. rotation. Give it a couple more back. reps. Give it yeah. a couple more reps. All right, coming up next, Alex Ferrario is going to compare one of the Cardinals young players to David Ortiz here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And the 1-1 pitch in the air out to deep center field. Nolan Gorman, a long home run to center. His fifth of the season. And boy, when he hits him, he hits him. Wow! That is big-time power to center off the bat of the rookie. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Nolan Gorman had some serious power last year, and that's why MLB.com is listing him as one of the top breakout candidates in all of Major League Baseball for 2023. They wrote this about Nolan Gorman. Quote, Though the 22-year-old has a lot of swing and miss in his game, he also showed a real aptitude to square up the ball when he made contact last season. Gorman's sweet spot rate, a metric which represents how often a player hits the ball at the exact launch angle that they're looking for, was the highest among MLB players with at least 150 batted balls last year. He also has a near elite barrel rate, which rates the percentage of batted balls with an optimal combination of exit velocity and launch angle, typically balls that result in homers and extra bases. So basically, to like the too long didn't read version of this. Nolan Gorman hits the ball really hard, and he hits that at the angle that you want to hit it at to be able to hit home runs. He has optimized his swing based on the scientific stuff uh, that everybody wants to see. He swings and misses too much. We all know that. But the power is very real, and we saw that last season. He is MLB.com's pick for one of the best breakout candidates in 2023. I think it's an inspired choice. I would go a different route. I would go with probably Lars Nupar as being my breakout candidate for the Cardinals this year. Alex, as you were looking at a picture yesterday, nothing mm. more, nothing less, a photo well. of Cardinals batting practice, you thought to yourself, man, I think I know who the Cardinals breakout candidate is going to be for 2023. Who's your choice yeah. this year? Ladies and gentlemen, introduce yourself to the nickname that we are deeming right now on BKN Ferrario, and nobody else can steal it, Lil Poppy. Because Moises Gomez, a.k.a. Tree Trunks, a.k.a. Lil Poppy in the batter's box. and you that can L-I-L apostrophe? Yeah, L-I-L. Like Lil Wayne, mm-hmm. Lil Romeo, Lil Bow Wow, Lil Poppy. Do we make Lols anymore? I just Lil did. Lil Uzi? Isn't Lulz. he? Who's Uzi? Is that you when Lulz you lose Uzi. your bets? Up top. Come on. Come on. No, I'm Come not. Come on, man. I got I'm not, even, I'm not even supporting the nickname of Lil Poppy. 
What are you talking about, man? Did you see the picture? Be, I don't want to be associated with I tweeted with at it. Ferrario 101 ESPN. Ali Marmal is infatuated with Moises Gomez right, because why? this is a big freaking dude. And we talk a lot about DHs here on BK and Ferrario. Yeah. You know, who can fill the void of an Albert Pujols? Yeah, that's probably the spot that MLB.com's breakout candidate for 2023, Nolan Gorman, is going to be fitting into. Well, let me take you guys back to the year 1997. Tanner, what were you at that point in time? Uh, not, not a thought. Born. Okay. Yeah, I was seven years old. Uh, there was a was five. There was a twenty-one-year-old uh, young player in Triple A, Double A, A ball. Take us back to nineteen ninety-seven. Alex, well, there was a little guy named David Ortiz who might have been a little poppy at the time, who uh, put together a season where he had a three seventeen batting average, a nine forty OPS, and thirty-one home runs in Triple A and Double A and Single A. And now, if you guys don't mind, hop in my time machine, my Mandalorian. No, not Mandalorian. What's the uh, what's the car from Back to the Future? Someone look it up for me real quick. Come I on, don't text. Remember. Um, it's not it's something DeLorean. Is it just the DeLorean? Uh, the DeLorean, yeah, DeLorean. Yeah. okay. Mandalorian's the Star Wars movie. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna jump the twenty twenty two last season between AAA and double A for St. Louis, and there's an individual named Moises Gomez who stop me if you've heard this one before, T Bone. A two ninety four batting average, a nine ninety six OPS. Oh, and by the way, thirty nine home runs and ninety four RBIs. Sound similar to anybody? Little poppy, ladies and gentlemen. All of this is tongue-in-cheek. I have no idea, but I like the idea. Um, looking at this individual, in all seriousness, looking at this individual, dude is built like a designated hitter. Yep. Not going to play the outfield for you. He's going to be solely a DH. They will have him here. And what's the thing that Ollie wants to talk a lot about on the offensive side? He loves that power. He loves that big, heavy swing. He's a slug, baby, slug. He's man. a slug, baby, slug. It would not surprise me if Moises Gomez becomes... Not an everyday DH, but an option on a regular basis as a DH in that rotation with a Nolan Gorman and a Juan Yepes. Because if this dude can take what he did in AAA and AA last year to the major league level, you're talking about a DH that could be a breakout star for you this season. Let me take you back to 1997 for a Hop few more Hop on back fun, in that Mandalorian. Fun, fun facts. Uh, that was the year Princess Diana died. Oh. Teletubbies made its debut Tinky on winky. television. Titanic was released in uh-huh. theaters. And Bill Gates <laughs> invested $150 million because Apple was going through some tough times, saving it from bankruptcy. Wow. Uh, wow. So there, there were a few things that were taking place during 1997. By the way, uh, on April Fool's Day, Wheel of Fortune host Pat Sajak and Jeopardy host Alex Trebek, they swapped shows for the day back in 1997. I did not know that. Another fun fact 25 How about that years for ago. You? I don't think that Moises Gomez is going to become the next David Ortiz. <sighs> what are you talking about, man? He's got 500 home runs in him. I do think he's a super compelling player for the Cardinals going into this upcoming season. I think we need to have realistic expectations for what he is and what he's not. Just did, Lil Poppy. Earlier today, John Mozalock was on with the morning show, the Cardinals' president of baseball operations. Here's what he said about his expectations for Moises Gomez going into the spring. You know, Moises, uh, you look at Burleson and you look at Yapaz, I think most of us are more familiar with Yapaz, but, you know, these are three guys that, that can really swing the bat. And, and I think Yapaz and Moises have a lot of similarities because they hit the ball hard. And, you know, you look at the breakout year that, that Moises had last year, and, you know, I, I think he really hasn't placed himself, like, on that, that who, who is this guy? What are you getting? And I think our major league staff and all of us in the front office, we're just excited to see it every day because unless you got down to Springfield last year, you really didn't get to see it much. And then if you got down to Memphis, 
um, you know, you have to, you had to time it right. So there's a guy with like legitimate power and uh, it's going to be fun to watch. Alex, he mentioned how Yepes and um, Moises Gomez are, are similar in terms of the way that they win, right? They both have real power and, and they hit the ball incredibly hard and they do so regularly. If I told you right now, you could sign up this year for Moises Gomez to do for the Cardinals what Juan Yepes did for them last year. So Yepes a year ago, hit 250, had a on-base percentage below 300. It was at 295, but he hit for some serious power. 13 doubles, 12 home runs in just 250 at-bats. That was about 10% above league average because of the power that he held in his bat. Would you sign up for that this year for Moises Gomez? I would, because Juan Yepes did not get regular reps in that spot. He wasn't a regular. He was switching that with a and lot I think of that's what you're gonna, I, I don't think there's any scenario, I, I would be surprised at least, where Moises Gomez becomes an everyday player for the Cardinals this year. Agreed. But I believe he will be one of the top players getting those reps at DH along with a Nolan Gorman and a Juan Yepes. He might be third on that list, uh, and he might go above Alec Burleson, depending on how spring training goes. But if that's what you're going to offer me, I'll take that. Because, man, that's a weapon right there if he's just pure power as a DH. Yeah, I, I would sign up for that, too, because he's just an unknown right now. And if you told me I could lock in a Juan Yepes type year, and I was impressed with Juan Yepes last year an 11% above league average, I would absolutely sign up for that from Moises Gomez because then he can take that role as the DH as a part-timer, as we're talking about. And I expect Yepes Gorman to take the next step this year. And if I add another piece into this kind of layer of outfielders slash DH bats, it just adds to the depth of the St. Louis Cardinals. So, yeah, I would sign up for it because – I, I truly don't know what Moises Gomez is. He could end up being the next big poppy, or he could just be a guy that ends little up. Poppy. Sorry, little poppy. Or he could end up being a guy that just has a cup of tea in Major League Baseball and you never see him again. He might be so, a right player. Yeah. yeah, I absolutely would sign up for him to be that kind of guy if he ends up doing what Juan Yepes did last year. He's going to get a lot of reps in spring training, too, because of all of yep. these individuals gone, and I don't think they're going to use him in the outfield. They might use Juan Yepes more in the outfield to see if he can be an option for them, which means you might get a lot more of Moises Gomez at DH this spring training. I'm, I'm really interested to see what he looks like during the spring uh by the way for 1997 the most popular television shows can you name any of the top five alex 1997 most popular tv shows i bet you you could get at least two of these seinfeld that's one frazier number one uh frazier was number eight on this list okay so just outside the top five 97 is there a comedy um, in there mm-hmm. oh, Fresh the Sein- prince of no. seinfeld bill air uh saved by the bell no full house no there's one on here that, Tanner, I think that you've been watching recently. Sesame Street? No. Nope. <laughs> I hate you. That's not the one I was Got referencing. Uh, Friends. I've been watching. Friends is at oh, number yeah, four. Duh. I'm surprised you didn't yeah. get that one. Uh, Seinfeld number one, ER number two. I never watched ER. that. God, I remember my mom loving ER. Veronica's Closet? I'm not familiar with that That's word. not no. a television show. That uh, was something on Showtime <laughs> late at night. Friends was number four and Touched by an Angel Touched was by an Angel. five on this my list. My God, my mom loved that one too. You'd always find your mom crying in the living room watching and be like, what's going on? I'm watching Touched by an Angel. Of course, that's what you do. Uh, 11.45, we will be getting into questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line. But next, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, including a report on what the Bears might do this offseason. And if you're the Colts, what are you doing to get the quarterback that you're looking for? We'll talk about it next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Kidders alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service. Text line questions and answers in about 10 minutes. Let's start with this. Jason Lock and Florida. Take two. Jason Lock and Fora tweeted about an hour ago, Alex, that multiple NFL general managers, according to him, came away from the senior bowl convinced that Justin Fields will be traded this offseason. Well, that changed quick. It's worth noting that Jason Lockenfora was one of the first last year to suggest that the Chiefs could end up dealing Tyreek Hill. I thought he was nuts when he first tweeted that out. I think it was right after the Senior Bowl, right around there. And then obviously we know what happened. I have no idea if this is going to be true or not. We know every year there's stuff that comes out around this time of the year all the way up until the draft that ends up being complete nonsense. But just to explore this possibility... Alex, let's go under a hypothetical route where the Bears say, you know what? We love Justin Fields. We think Bryce Young is going to be better. And that's possible. They may evaluate Bryce Young and say, that guy's the, the next superstar quarterback in the NFL. We prefer him. It resets our clock a little bit. We get an extra couple of years on the rookie deal. We're going to go with Bryce Young. Who would you think would trade for Justin Fields? I, I- who do you think would be the best case scenario? I was going to say, I think everybody who needs a quarterback should be trading for Justin Fields. Uh, Baltimore, to me, if they can't figure out Lamar Jackson, would be the team that I'd sure. say find a way to do a three-team trade to get Justin Fields. Um, the New York Jets should be thrown into this, even with Derek Carr being out there and Aaron Rodgers being out there. Justin Fields is younger and better than both of those guys, uh, at least right now. I mean, I could think of a Carolina should be calling about this immediately rather than yeah. try and draft somebody. If I could give you a crazy one, though. Uh-oh. Oh, I like a little crazy. What if What if the Colts traded for Justin Fields and traded the second overall pick? And the Bears got Bryce Young and then drafted, I'm assuming, Will Anderson is the guy that they would love or maybe another defenseman. That's a really interesting one. Because that's actually, a, that's in all seriousness, that's a really good one. Because Todd McShay's mock draft albeit take it as it as you want he had the Colts trading with the Bears to get Bryce Young if they want a quarterback and Justin Fields is sitting there and the Bears say no we're taking Bryce Young if I'm the Colts I'm going to trade that second overall pick right now for Justin Fields because that's my quarterback if you're Houston would you trade second pick and the 12th pick for him oh I Colts weren't the second pick my apologies it's fourth pick it's fourth pick they're okay. close enough if I'm the Texans, absolutely. Because if Bryce Young is going to Chicago, why wouldn't you? Or if, or if the Bears decide to trade that pick somewhere else and they take the second pick, whatever it is. Yeah, I, I, I would. I mean, you could go after C.J. Stroud, which I would assume Houston might be looking at if it's not Bryce Young. But Justin Fields has already seasoned a couple of years in the NFL. And you know he's good. And he's already run a bad team that had no weapons for him. And now you go to Houston, who's in the same situation. Seattle is another team that is really interesting. I just wonder if Seattle's going to sit with Geno Smith. They might, but they have the fifth overall pick. Oh, yeah. And they have the 20th overall pick. And if you're them, and you could do this before you get into negotiations with Geno, you could just say okay goodbye geno smith we've got our next franchise quarterback we're going with justin fields what about detroit sure detroit's got their great one yeah that i mean look jared goff was great for him but i I honestly see you jared now we've got a young quarterback with our young wide receiver core 
If I'm Detroit, I would jump all over that See, to get Justin we Fields. We haven't even named the team that I first thought of in this, and that the was Rams Atlanta. Aren't getting them. No, Atlanta. Atlanta, yep. I think, makes a ton of sense. Arthur Smith likes to kind of run a Tennessee-style offense, and if you get a quarterback that can run the football, I, I think it would make a ton of sense. And I think they've got some weapons offensively. I mean, you look at Kyle Pitts. I know he had a down year. I still think he's going to be a great player for him. Uh, Drake London, I think, is going to be a solid wide receiver for him. They could use a little bit of help there, but they've got more weapons than what the Bears had this year. So I, I would say Atlanta would be the team for me. I think he makes a ton of sense. Trade a, your first-round pick, go get him. He, I, I, That's the team that I like for Justin Fields. Somebody on the text line said Justin Fields in San Francisco would be interesting. It really would be, but they don't have the capital to be yeah. able to make a move like this. They yeah. traded their first-round pick this year to the Saints. Uh, they, they, don't, they don't have the draft picks to be able to make a move like this possible. The, the tough part with Detroit is that it's in the same division. Most spots on the roster, I don't think you'd care about that if they give you the best return. At quarterback, I do think that's something that you wouldn't want to do if you're the Bears. Because even if you're higher on Bryce Young than you are on Fields, you're pretty sure that just Justin Fields is a good quarterback. If you trade him within your division, he might kick your ass for the next 15 years. <laughs> I don't think you want that if you're I the Bears. I think I've fallen in love with uh, with the idea of Detroit. They're the team that I hope does it. I, I think Seattle is the one that I I like the most. I would love to see him go there and then just become a better version of Russell Wilson. DK Metcalf, oh, Tyler yeah. Lockett, a good running game behind you with Kenneth Walker. You got a pretty solid defense already. That's the one that I would love to see. Speaking of the Colts, we mentioned them as a potential fit for Justin Fields. Jim Ursay introduced their new coach yesterday, Shane Steichen, at a press conference. And he was asked at that press conference, hey, what's your plan at, at quarterback for this upcoming season? Ursay basically told us what their plan is. Do you stay put? Do you trade up? You know, there, there's many things you can do. Uh, they took Jalen in the second round. So, trade um, back. Yeah, trade back. So um, he likes that'll picks. Be a, that'll be a Twitter <laughs> freaking quote. He, he likes picks. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, although the Alabama guy doesn't look bad, I tell you. You think he wants Bryce Young? <laughs> Jeez. Way to play Can close to the chest, Can you imagine if you're Jim? the general manager? You're, you're Chris Ballard. You're at that press conference. And you're looking over and you're like, would you shut your mouth? Yeah. Please. Well, not getting Bryce Young there, Jim. Indianapolis should do whatever it takes to move up. Like, if, if the Bears end up keeping Justin Fields, and I still think that's the most likely scenario. I do, too. You got to move up to number one and get Bryce Young, right? That's what you got to do. Yeah, you got to do anything to get into that spot because, I mean, I think C.J. Stroud is going to be a really good quarterback. So if you get him, to me, that's a that's a damn good consolation prize if I'm the Colts. But I'm going to start with giving up as much assets as possible because I got a really good team in place. I just need a quarterback. And if I can get Bryce Young, I think I would do whatever I can to do that. Although Jim just screwed that over. So thanks a lot, Jimmy. Uh, all right, final thing here. If you had to place a way too early bet, and I mean way too early, on the 2024 Super Bowl, ladies and gentlemen. Wow, already there. Who are you going with? I'll, I'll give you the odds as you kind of go through um, if there's any teams that come to mind as being good bets for you. But if you're placing a way too early bet, Alex, who are you going with? Who, who are you leaning towards? <sighs> Buffalo. They are at eight and a half to one right now. Not They're great the odds. Second best odds. Kansas City Chiefs are the best right now at six to one. Not great odds, but 
It would be Buffalo or Cincinnati. Those would be my two teams. Since he is nine to one right now, tied with the Eagles and the 49ers for third. I look at Buffalo as a team that is going to be, that was plagued with injuries and is going to be really pissed off at how that one went. They seem to be a team that might be out for blood next season. Yeah, I, I do like that one. I, Cincinnati was the first team that came to my mind. I think Burrow takes the next step next Great. year. If I had to take one in the NFC, I think San Francisco is a compelling one. I, I, I think they'll figure out something at quarterback. I, I'm not sure what that's going to be, but I, I, I think that they're, I mean, they have an all-around roster that they can basically plug and play anybody at QB, and they're going to have a legitimate shot. I was going as a long shot bet. One team that I do like a decent amount is the Jaguars. I think that they play in a division that makes it possible. You're, you're, I think they're going to come out of that division again next year. I think they're going to be the class of the AFC South for years to come. 25 to 1, pretty good odds on them. They've got a good coach. They've got a great quarterback. If they're able to shore up that defense a little bit going into the offseason, you're able to get Calvin Ridley next year as a number two weapon for you. Yeah, and I, he I just... The- I think he just applied for reinstatement, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, I think the Jaguars are an interesting team. One other team that I would throw out there, just because it's long odds. The, the Rams. Lions. The Rams at 30 to 1. Yeah. I'll take the Lions. Because the NFC is, is so weak. They do have a really good coach, a quarterback that was hurt this year, Cooper Cup coming back. You've got a game wrecker on the defensive line in Aaron Donald. If you're able to, to get things corrected offensively on the line, I think they could be a team that ends up coming back better than a lot of people expect. And what are the Lions gonna, at? They're going to be really aggressive, too. The Rams are this offseason. Yeah, you've been telling us that what are the Lions? since the end of the season. And I, I, I'm believing you. Uh, the Lions are 25 to 1. Same as the Rams. Do I'll you trust? I, I don't think I can bet on Jared Goff to win a Super Bowl. I know that he's been there, and he was say. like a few plays away. Oh, but no, he I may not have to bet close. on Jared Goff, but I, I could bet on Dan Campbell. I could bet on Dan Campbell, and I could bet on what that team rather, did at the end of the season. I would season. rather bet on the Rams coming out of the NFC next year I, than the Lions. The Jets might be another odds. one. I know they're not NFC, but the Jets might be another one. To ones as well. I would rather bet on the Jets at, with the possibility of them getting Aaron Rodgers and than the Lions. the Lions. The tough part, though, is the Lions have such an easier path. The AFC is so yeah. much harder. Mm-hmm. If you're making a long-shot bet for next season, if I could give you one piece of advice, bet on somebody in the NFC because that's the path that is so much easier. Like the Giants. The Giants are 40-1 to 1 right now to win the Super Bowl next that's year. That's not bad. If they end up getting like maybe they're the team that trades for Justin Fields or Lamar Jackson or something like that. that. One of those teams, that's the the Carolina Panthers, 55 to one right now. Maybe they go get Lamar Jackson and suddenly you look at them. You're like, man, they've got the best quarterback in the NFC. They've got a good coach that we know has done a good job in the past with Frank Reich. And they've got some weapons. And that defense was really good this year. That, that's another team. Like, pick somebody in the NFC, whoever your favorite long shot is. That's the way I would go. Coming up next, questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Six four six is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers. Coming up in about ten minutes or so, who's in the Blues core, and how does their core group of players compare to the rest of the NHL? The Athletic did a ranking yesterday, and uh, whew, didn't love the Blues ranking in it. We'll talk about that coming up in about ten minutes or so. David Panyota joining us at twelve thirty with the latest on the deadline. And speaking of the deadline, Alex, that is our first question today. Do you see another Blues player being traded in the next week? And if so, who do you think it will be? No, I don't. I don't see a player for the Blues being traded until March 3rd. Uh, 
Ivan Barbashev and Ryan O'Reilly. There were seven scouts in attendance last night. No coincidence. Barbie puts up three points. Ryan O'Reilly has a goal and a pretty impactful one. But neither of those guys are going to be moved before March 3rd because that's the bidding war. You you want teams to fight over what you have because that's how the price raises. If you trade it now, like you did with Vladdy, you're not going to get the best return. Whereas if you hold on to Barbashev and a team really wants him and a team misses out on Timo Meyer and Patrick Kane and says, got to get something. Now you call up Doug Armstrong and Doug's going to say, yep, but the price just went up because I've got five other teams calling. So March 3rd is the, is the next time I believe you'll see either Blues player traded. Yeah, I don't think you see a player trade in the next week. I, I think it is going to be around that March time. I, I, March 1st, March 2nd, March 3rd. One of those days, I think, is when you see the next guys traded because what you're saying, the Army's going to use that as leverage. Those guys don't have no trade clauses, so he's not really hamstrung in terms of what he can do like he was with Vladdy. So I, I, think, I, I think you're going to have to wait until March before you see the next trade. I think so, too. I wouldn't expect anything in the immediate future. I think the... The Tarasenko deal was because of Patrick Kane. I think that's why that happened so early. I think Patrick Kane wanted to go to the Rangers. There was a report yesterday that he wants to go to either the Rangers or the Maple Leafs. Well, now you're down to one team, basically. And the Maple Chicago. Leafs can't afford you. So that eliminates a lot of the contention for him. I, I, I think that that was the reason why that happened so early. I think the Rangers basically told the Blues, this is pure speculation by me, but my guess, hey, we're either going to get Vladdy or we're going to get Kane and we want to get this done soon. And the Blues said, okay. What's your best offer? Let's see if that's something that can get this done. And Vladdy wanted to go there as well, so that's how you end up getting that deal done. For the other guys, it's a much bigger market. You don't have the no-trade clauses that you're you're working on. There was a piece yesterday by Jeremy Rutherford on the potential landing spots for Barbie. There were 10 teams that were listed. <laughs> there was a lot. So it's a third of the league. Like that, that is not the case for Vladdy. Vladdy was like, you're working with a list of five, and among that group of five, maybe two of them are actually interested in, in adding Vladimir Tarasenko and need him and are willing to give up the necessary assets to acquire him. So it, it's just very different with O'Reilly, Achari, Barbie, those kinds of guys as opposed to what you had with Vladdy. So I think it's going to be a minute. Uh, next one up here. Guys, what are your honest thoughts on the XFL's return? They officially are back this upcoming weekend. We talked about this a few days ago. Um... I don't think that there is the, clearly there's not the same buzz as there was last time around. I also think just in St. Louis, the way that the schedule sets up, I think it's the first three weeks they're on the road. Maybe it's the first two weeks they're on the road. So they don't start officially in St. Louis the first couple of weeks of the season. I think that plays into it as well. I think that it is now reverted back to what it was supposed to be, which is a minor league for the NFL. And I think that's long term going to be a healthy thing for the league. But if you're a, a St. Louis Battlehawks fan, it also means that there's probably going to be a step back in, in terms of the publicity for that league. So I, I think it kind of goes both ways. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it, but the excitement's not there like it was prior with the XFL because I just it just feels a little bit different than what it did the last time it was here. So um, I'm looking forward to having another team to root for in St. Louis, and it's always great to have football in St. Louis, but it's not like I'm I'm planning my weekend around that game. Sure. That's what I was going to say. I'm not really planning a weekend around watching the games this time around like I did previously, and it's kind of two it's one I've already seen it with the XFL. We like la the last time the XFL came, it was like, oh, they have the new kickoff rule. Oh, there are no extra points, and now it's like, oh, you're just doing the same thing you did. You're not really innovating from where you were, which I, that's not right or wrong. I, I think they were great on that last time around. So there was some of that excitement, and then also for me, it's just like, okay, it's minor league football. I, it was exciting the first time around. Do I really want to invest my time and watch it as much? 
Probably not. I'll put it on in the background if there's nothing going on on like a Saturday, Sunday, but I, I'm not going to be locked into it. All right, final question. Guys, do you believe that the Cardinals lineup could have seven plus players that finish with at least 20 home runs this year? Arenado, Goldie, Contreras is from the text. O'Neill, Gorman, Yepes, Walker, and or Gorman, or excuse me, Gomez slash Carlson slash Newt Bar all seem possible. Uh, Arenado's a lock. Goldie should be a lock. Contreras should be a lock. If O'Neill is healthy, I think he is a lock to hit at least 20 home runs this year. If Gorman gets the at-bats, I think he will be a lock to hit at least 20 home runs. So let's operate under that assumption. That's five. After that is where it gets a little tougher. What was the number they said? Seven. Seven. So Yepes, Walker, Gomez, Carlson, and Newt Bar are wow. the players that they said could potentially get Little there. Lil Poppy will be there. So that's six. I would set the over-under at six. I would still take the under. Oh, I'd go. I think I might go under. I would go under. I, I, uh, I'm not sure Gorman gets there. I, I just think there's going to be. He just a, comes out of playing time. Yeah. And because I mean, last we're year sitting he had here what, now, 12, 15? Yeah. He had 12. Uh, no, no, sorry. He had 14. He had 14 in 283 at bats. Do you think he's going to get fewer at bats this year than he did last year? I think he might get right around there. I mean, we've already had conversations that he, I mean, would it shock us if he starts the year in AAA? No. And like, I think you're going to see a bunch of rotating casts and it's not in it's whether it be platoon or it's just, Hey, we're going to play the hot back because we like our depth a lot. I, I don't know if you're going to get anybody outside the lo- quote unquote locks to get to 20 home runs. There might be one guy that surprises us when I say surprise. I mean, one of those guys that just really hits for That's incredible why I said it power at six because like between Gorman, Yepes, Walker, Gomez, Newt Bar, I think those are the ones. I think somebody has a real chance to be but able to hit 20. But if you're going with the four locks plus one of those guys, you're still at five. So that would mean you need two of those. I, I, think, I think Gorman's a lock. I, I, I would be pretty wow. surprised if he doesn't hit 20 home runs this year. I think he's going to spend the majority of his time in the major leagues. And so then you, you get to those other ones. I I think somebody else will get there, but I, I don't know. I, I certainly wouldn't consider seven. I think seven's too many. Six feels possible, though. Would they end up with a couple of years ago? Last year was only three. Yeah, last year was a, because of the playing time of a down year in injuries. What was 2021? Do you remember? Uh, let's see. I've got let me look 2021 here. home runs. They ended the season with one, two, three guys getting at least 20 plus, And then they had DeYoung at 19 and Carlson with 18, Vader at 16. So they were pretty close to having three others. And I don't think those uh, DeYoung... Yes, he's got power, but I don't think anybody... No, he's not going to get 20. But what I'm saying is, of everybody that we mentioned as possible, I think they have more power than those guys that were close, like Carlson, Bader, the the guys that we just listed, Gorman, Yepes, Gomez. They all have more power, more raw power than what those guys had. Agreed. Uh, Final thing here from the 314, just to address it real quick. Did BK give us a 15-minute spiel yesterday about Mizzou moving up to a five seed and being a tough out in the NCAA tournament? He routinely raves about local teams and players if they have one to two games, and then they suck. BK is clueless. Uh, Not so fun when the text line gets all angry with you, huh? First of all, fair. I am indeed clueless about a lot of different things. Second of all, I told you guys yesterday, my expectation going into that game is that Mizzou would lose and they would not be able to cover the six and a half point spread. You were right. Auburn is exactly the type of team that gives Mizzou trouble. And they ended up losing and not just losing, getting embarrassed yesterday. That was a horrible, horrible game in every possible way. I said that if Mizzou won out, they could potentially move up to the five seed. 
And I do still believe that in the right scenario, Mizzou can end up in the Sweet 16. My expectation is that they lose in the first round. I think that's the, like, you go in, they're an eight seed probably somewhere thereabouts. They lose either in the first round or the second round. Given what the expectations were coming into the season, that is an overwhelming success. The thoughts were if you get to the NIT, you did pretty good this year, Dennis Gates. He has already outperformed any of those expectations. So, yeah, I don't feel bad about anything that I just said. And you, sir, are the one that's clueless. Coming up in 15 minutes, the wow. Cardinals agree with our compliment. opinion on their pitching in the postseason. John Mozeliak more or less confirmed that this morning. But coming up next, who is the Blues core moving forward? We'll talk about that and how it ranks compared to the rest of the NHL next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You're in bed with Falk until 06, uh, 2026, 27 season. Krug, same thing. Pareko, beyond that. Nick Letty, 25, 26 season. And then you're you know, you're, you're uh, Bortuzzo, Tucker, Callie Rosen. Those, those are depth guys. Your forward group, same idea when it comes to Braden Shen, Brandon Saad, Jordan Cairo, and Robert Thomas. That's your core right there. The guys that have the contracts. How do you best support them? And how do you build a bit of an identity moving forward? Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was Anthony Stolter yesterday on the fast lane talking about the Blues core and what the plan is moving forward to build around them. Alex, er, yesterday, The Athletic put together a piece on cores around the NHL, and they ranked them by who has the best core that they're building around right now. And I I kept scrolling down and, and down and down, got to the bottom. Baby, are you down, down? And that's where Arizona and Chicago are. So thank God the Blues are not in that group. That was in the undefined core, which means, yeah, we're not really sure who the good players are on these teams. But then you go one step up from that. The next tier up, it's something that they labeled starting from the bottom. And the teams that are listed are Philly, Montreal, Anaheim, Vancouver, and San Jose. For them, they have the Blues core listed as Ryan O'Reilly, Braden Shin, Robert Thomas, Colton Pareko, Jordan Bennington. Now, I think you could just go ahead and flip Ryan O'Reilly out and Jordan Kyrou in, and you've got a better idea of kind of what the, the core five members of the Blues team are. Kyrou, Shin, Thomas, Pareko, Bennington. That sounds about right to me, and if you think that it's one of the other defensemen, that's fine. Just flip Pareko for the other defensemen that you have in there. How do you feel about that, Alex, as your core moving forward? Does that feel like it stacks up against the better groupings in the NHL? And by the way, you could maybe put Pavel Buchnevich into that category as well. Yeah, the only issue with Buchnevich is you just don't know how much longer he's a part of that core because his contract up in two years and then you're in a cap situation. If it's Cairo, Thomas, Shen, Pareko, I'd throw Falk in there and then Jordan Bennington. I know people aren't going to like this. I feel good about that core because you have the talent in the young players. You have the veteran who is still a very uh, important piece on and off the ice in Braden Shen. The defensemen haven't been good this season, but we've had numerous people tell us that this is kind of an outlier for those guys. And those would be the guys that I'd put on there because I don't, 
I don't view anybody on the left side as a part of the core other than like a young Scott Perinovich, but you don't know. And then Jordan Bennington. So remind me again, the group that they were in was with Vancouver, Philadelphia, Montreal. And then who else was on that list? Um, let me go San back Jose. down. San Jose San was. Which sounds, I mean, that that's the team that we've compared the Blues yeah. to a million different times. So it I, makes sense. I would, I would have them a little better than those, those teams. And of course I would, but I, I would actually put them more towards kind of the Calgary, Nashville comp wherever they are on that list they're in the tiktok uh grouping which is like the time is ticking and for see, you to i don't be even know if i view done. i don't even know if i view that just because you you your group just to, to yeah. expand on that is vegas washington the islanders pittsburgh and then nashville and calgary and i can understand that because you've got an aging core of people that you have to kind of win with right now you're in a transition core of players and this is what they went from when they moved on from David Backus into the 2019 and I didn't view that as a a tick 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 kind of situation but I also didn't view it as the I don't know where we're at you just viewed it as you're getting close to where you need to be competitive and now you're going to so be I guess there here's the question because a different category entirely is the win now group right and this is mostly teams that you would expect it's Toronto Tampa Bay the Rangers Carolina and then Florida's in here because if you just look at the core yeah. group of players that they have right now, it's it's damn good. Their team has not been assembled in a way where they've been able to win this year, but their their core group of players is as good as it gets in the NHL. The other team that is associated with those five is the Winnipeg Jets. And you look at the players that they have, they're, they're all very good, don't get me mm-hmm. wrong, but Wheeler, Connor, Shifley, uh, Morrissey, and then Hellebuck. How would you compare the Blues' current core group of players with that group, Alex? I would say that group is better than your core. Okay. Because you've got one of the best goaltenders in the game. But you would put Bennington in that category, right? Not at Hellebuck's level. Okay. I would put him on a tier below Connor Hellebuck because it's, I mean, Winnipeg has the second least amount of goals allowed this season. And Ken Weeb told us yesterday that that defense needs a lot of work to do. But you're still the second best defensive team in the NHL because of Hellebuck. Despite my defense and trust in Jordan Bennington, he has been unable to back that defense, and Connor Hallibuck has. But I'd have him a, a, a tier underneath. Con- like, I would put a Bennington in a Yusei Saros conversation, but Hellebuck's in a Vasilevsky conversation, in my opinion. But in terms of core beyond that, I just think Winnipeg's is better because you've got a Kyle Connor, and as much as we love Jordan Cairo, he's not on a Kyle Connor level yet. Um, defensively, they've got a Josh Morrissey, and I don't really know if you've got a Josh Morrissey on your team for what he's produced. I mean, he's in the Vezina con- or the uh, the Norris conversation, but I would put the Blues kind of closer to the Winnipeg Jets than I would the category that they're in right now, if that makes sense. See, I, I and I think you're leading me into my point here is I, I think the Blues forward group, I feel really confident with that the core that they've built there, and I like the goaltending that they have with Jordan Biddington. I think that core defensively, Pareko, Falk, Whoever else you want to throw in there, Perunovic, I, I I don't think that those guys are a good enough core defensively, and I, I think that's where the problem lies because you just mentioned it. You know, you look at the Jets and you look; they don't have a Schlafly. So, like, I I think the problem for the Blues, Schlafly, Schlafly's a beer. Oh, Schlafly, <laughs> you're already starting to drink, man. It's not even two o'clock yet. It's, hey, it's five o'clock somewhere. It's true, Jimmy uh, but Buffett. Here's a question for you on that on that note with Schlafly, Schlafly versus Buchnevich. Who would you rather have for the next five years, uh, Buchnevich? Because he's younger. Connor versus. 
Thomas. Connor. Uh, that's not really I'd a have, fair comp. I, I, you don't have a player on your team that I'd say I'd rather have over Kyle Connor. That's fair. Uh, I don't even know who your comp is for Blake Wheeler. Braden Shen. Br- and I'd rather have Blake Wheeler. Although Braden Shen does a lot. What about mm. Wheeler versus Cairo? And I know they're 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 obviously different players, and the ages couldn't be more opposite in terms of their yeah. aging curve. But I, I would rather have Cairo because of the age. But if you took age out of it, I'd rather have Blake Wheeler. And the reason why is because like this isn't ranking who the best teams are this season. It's ranking who the, the best cores are that you're building around. And so if you got a 36 year old Blake Wheeler versus you know 23 year old yeah. Jordan Cairo, who would you rather build around? I, I, I know this sounds Kyrou. crazy, but like on the trade market, Kyrie would have more value right now Absolutely. than Blake Wheeler would. So I, I think that you can make a case what the Blues are missing. And the reason why I bring this up is because when you look at how far away the Blues feel like they are right now versus how far away they really are. The Winnipeg Jets are included in this win now category. And I'm with you, Alex. Like you, you look at Hellebuck versus what you have in Jordan Bennington. You're, you're a step behind. But what you're really missing here, because Bennington has proven that you can win with him as your goalie in the in the postseason. Absolutely. What you're really missing here is that top tier defenseman. Because the the forwards, you've got guys that even if you think they're a step behind, you've got another guy that you could probably put into this category. Like Pavel Buchnevich would fit into the Winnipeg Jets core somewhere. I think you could make a case that Robert Thomas or Jordan Cairo, any of those three would fit into this core over like a Blake Wheeler, for example, because of his age. What you're missing is the Morrissey. You don't have that player. And the hard part is, how do you find him? And and that's the thing that I just don't have the answer to. Because you've got a goalie you can win with. You've got some forwards that, like, I think you've got five guys that you could build around right now. I don't know who the defenseman is that that you're building around. Because even for the staunchest Colton Pareko defenders in the world, he ain't that. He's not what these other teams have that they can build around on the blue line. You don't have that right now. And until you find it, I don't think you can put in be put into the same category, and that's where you go into a rebuild potentially as opposed to a retool, or the retool just takes longer than you what you and, want. And I think the group that I would put this team in is the next wave core, and they would be with the Seattle. And some of these teams you look at and you say, no way in hell, because the L.A. Kings are here, the Detroit Red Wings are here, uh, the Buffalo Sabres are here, but also Seattle, Ottawa, and Columbus are there. And I would have the Blues better in terms of core players than those three teams in terms of Seattle, Ottawa, and Columbus, because Seattle is an expansion where we've kind of seen it. Like they're relying on a lot of younger players to be, I like Seattle, man. They're fun. I, I like Seattle too, but Seattle's in a spot where like they're living off of that honeymoon era right now. And sooner or later, a couple of those guys, like they'd be more in a win now mode because you've got some aging players and some younger players, but Ottawa, I mean, yeah, I get Ottawa's got Brady Kachuk and Tim Stutzel. They've got incredible players, but they've also got a lot of uncertainty on their defensive side, and they got some uncertainty in their goaltending. The Columbus Blue Jackets, they've got Johnny Goudreau and Patrick Laine and one of the better young defensemen in the NHL, but look at them this season, and I've explained it in the past that they've got injuries, but you're in a next wave. I'd have the blues in the next wave because one off season, if you're drafted in the top eight, one off season where you can move some, some big contracts around and maybe bring somebody in. We could be talking about a competitive team next season. Here's a question from the three, one, four and sorry, T-bone. They say a top tier defenseman wouldn't make this team a cup contender. You're insane. You're insane. Uh, let's just pluck Alex Petrangelo and put him on this team. And let's take out Justin Falk. Because he's the one that everyone says, like, oh, you got Justin Falk and you didn't get Petro. 
you're insane to think that this team is not a better team than what they are right now. I think they're a better team. I don't know if they would be a cup contender they're this not a year because this this year is kind of that as you're talking about that. I, I, I'm talking about next year though. If yeah. you put a, I, I think a good a, off season, it could be. I think so too. Let's just say you get Jacob Chicken. You're not getting Jacob Chicken. Is he is he that elite defenseman though? I think he is. Okay. I think he doesn't look that way to a lot of people right now because it's Arizona, but I believe he is. What if it's like a Mackenzie Weger? He's reportedly uh, in trade conversations right now. We'll see if he ends up getting moved. But Mackenzie Weger, I think most would consider to be a, a, an elite-level defenseman. I think he's an elite-level defenseman on the offensive side, but defensively, I don't know if he's viewed as an elite-level defenseman. And I believe that's what at least the texter would be talking about, is you need to get... Because that's the issue right now. You get a lot of elite offensive defensemen, but you don't have a lot of elite defensive defensemen right now. Uh, yeah, and, to, and what I was going to say is, to your point on this being the next wave... I think the forwards would fit in that category. The defense is what I think kind of drags but them behind. But one offseason, I think you could change that. See, I don't think you can. I don't think you can fix this defense in one offseason because I we're talking about getting the elite defenseman. Maybe if but you have to get the number one, you don't get the number one, and you just let's say you try to reset. And you a, do. You're not drafting a defenseman with number one. No, but what I'm saying is, let's say that you have to trade for our number one defenseman McKenzie in the offseason, Uyghur, for example. But let, if you That's my new if, guy, if, by you, the way. if you don't do that, if you don't do that, <laughs> and you just talk about what we did the last couple of days, where let's say you ship out Pareko, attach it, pick to him, whatever, and then you bring in a Mayfield, you're not in the category still. Your defense is still lagging behind. I the defense is what is holding them back from being in the next wave, in my opinion. And we'll see if they can change it in the off season. The way they change it in the off season is they go and get that elite number one. It can't so, just be retooling the defense as a group on the fly without getting that number one defenseman. If going into next year. You have Mackenzie Weger in Tory Krug's oh, place. You are all aboard the Mackenzie Weger train. I'm just using him as a placeholder because I, I people are familiar with who I he get is. It. His no, game. I, I'm with you. And he, like, hey, he had I don't a know plus how 40 last season. He's a really good player. And according to Jay Fresh's uh, analytics this season, and I know analytics, he's a 97th percentile player this season with 95th percentile defense. So he's wow. been excellent so far this year as well, at least according to the numbers. Um, if you replace Krug with Uyghur and he's your number one defenseman and you make no other changes on the blue line. That's it. That's the only move that you make. And at least money wise, it's basically equal to what you had previously. How do you feel about that construction? And then let's say you add a couple of, I don't know, like tertiary pieces to the, to the offense. I don't know who those players would be, but like Ivan Barbashev equivalents basically for two, three million bucks this off season. Is that team a contender in your mind, Alex? Is that enough, or do they need to make more wholesale changes on the blue line? So let me just understand this correctly. You get Mackenzie Weger mm-hmm. in place of a Tory Krug. Right. Uh, and Ivan Barbashev type of player is back. Sure. Yep. I, I would say they're in a contending Let's spot. Let's say you re-sign Achari and you go sign somebody that becomes the equivalent of... Yeah. Of Barbie. I would say you're a contender because your defense is better, in my opinion. You're getting a better defenseman on that core. You're bringing back a forward that adds to your depth on your third line. And then you've got your offense in place right now. So, yeah, I would say you're a contender. I would go into that season the same way I'm go- I went into this season thinking that they were better than they were. But I believe they would be better than what they were this season. That was very confusing. Yeah, that was kind of tough to keep <laughs> track of. But I, I, I think they would be... In the conversation of being a contender, I don't know if they would be viewed as a team that could get to the Stanley Cup because you'd have to rely on those these young forwards we're talking about, Cairo, Thomas. Yeah. I don't know if Booch fits in this category really, but Thomas and Cairo really taking that next step in terms of playing that full 200-foot game. That would be the thing that they would have to do to get you into that conversation of being a team that can go on a Stanley Cup run. But I think they'd definitely be in the conversation of, hey, yeah, they're a playoff team. Can they make something happen if things go their way? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, somebody on the text line says, guys, but Mackenzie Weger is right-handed. I- They'll, they'll figure it out. Like, 
they'll they'll be so all right. take Krug's name out sure. and say Justin Falk or, or flip it and Pareko's the one that leaves. Okay, well, that's it's just Pareko stupidity. straight up for Mackenzie Weger. Now you're rebuilding. Now you've got um, Weger with Perunovic, and you traded Krug for draft capital. Oh, you're just you're shipping out everybody. Yeah. So yeah. now your defense is Perunovic, Weger, mm-hmm. Justin Falk, Callie Rosen. No, Letty. Letty's back. Oh, I forgot Letty was here. The lead man. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're talking to David Pan Yoda. He's got a report that <laughs> Mackenzie Weaver could be available. available. I wonder where that came from. <laughs> but coming up next, the Cardinals seem to agree with our opinion on their pitching in the postseason. We'll let you hear what John Mozalek had to say about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's, it's, it's not so much like during the season as much as it can change how you think about October. And, you know, I don't want to you know, suggest we're already there. But my point is when you can match up a one versus a one in October, you, you, you feel like you have a better chance of winning. Right. And, and it, we all watched how starting pitching in this past uh, postseason was, was really dominant. Same with bullpen. But. I do think like, if Jack can emerge to be that type of pitcher that, that, that gets that type of start and can be that type of, of, of arm, yeah, it definitely changes the outlook of our year. And, you know, I, I definitely feel like, you know, right now he's trending in a really good direction. He, you know, he had a normal offseason. He feels healthy. Um, and, and he knows he has something to prove. So, yeah, we're not trying to put too much pressure on him, but... We also understand the importance of, of him stepping up and, and being what we think he's capable of doing. That was John Mosellock on the morning show today. If you missed any of their conversation, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So, Alex, I think what I took away from John Mosellock's quote there is very simple. Mo agrees with everything we've been saying about the pitching. You're right. He does listen to the show and agrees with what you and I say. Victory lap! And I think that is important, man. If you're a Cardinals fan, the number one thing that I have heard that is a frustration with the way that the team has been constructed in recent years is this. They don't give themselves a real chance to make a run in October, in large part because of their starting pitching. Their starting pitching hasn't been good enough. When you see them line up, Jose Quintana, and I understand Jose Quintana was excellent in game one, but let's be real. Going into it, you were at a pitching disadvantage because Quintana against Wheeler or Nola, and then the next day, whoever you throw out there, Michaelis against Wheeler or Nola, you're at a disadvantage. Those guys are better than what you have to offer starting pitching-wise, especially as you're legit number one. Their hope and their belief this season, and it could be wrong here, is that Jack Flaherty changes that calculus. Jack Flaherty has the potential to be that legitimate number one. And that's what John Mosellock said earlier today on the morning show. He said, hey, it doesn't really change much for us during the regular season if if Jack is back to being the guy that we thought he was previously. Realistically, maybe that wins us a couple extra games, but we've been pretty good during the regular season anyways. Where it changes things for us is in the postseason. The reason why I think that is so significant for him to say right now, Alex, is because the inverse can also be true. If Jack isn't back to being the guy that he was previously, then that means that Mo is basically admitting they don't have another guy that can be that player. 
And that means that they need to be super aggressive at the trade deadline to acquire such a player. So I think he put a lot of pressure on himself, honestly, with that quote by saying, we need that guy. We believe Jack Flaherty can be that guy. And I do as well. I I would bet on it right now. But if they end up being wrong, which is possible, then they need to be aggressive in a way that they have not been in recent years. Yes. And John Mozeliak saying in the offseason that they would expect the payroll to go up midseason should be an indicator in what this team's view of the team is in terms of what they need. And that's the ace. There will be a lot of pressure, if you want to call it that, on Jack Flaherty to prove that in the regular season. But from now until the end of September, it has no matter in Jack Flaherty's performance. It all has to do in what he does in October. Because if Jack Flaherty is not the ace for this team come October, then they're not going anywhere. Maybe you win around. That's it. You've got to have the ace. I am very bullish on this rotation because I think Jordan Montgomery has the potential to be a really good starter for them. Miles Michaelis, we just saw last season, was as close to an ace as you can ask for without being labeled an ace. You've got the depth, but you still don't have the swing and miss dude. That's Jack Flaherty. And if you don't have Jack Flaherty, well, then you better be on the phones come whatever July 31st, right? That's what I believe the trade deadline is. Sometimes it moves. You better be on the phone finding that guy. Because if this is the winning window, if you have unfinished business, John Mozeliak, well, then get the piece that's missing for this team to win. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. They're they're putting pressure on themselves, and they've been doing this all offseason long. And it started, to your point, on that quote of payroll's going to go up. I think he said that at winter warm-up, where it was our payroll. We expect payroll to go up in season potentially. So it's fine to bet on Jack Flaherty now. I'm with you, BK. I, I think it's the right decision to just wait and see what you have in Jack Flaherty. But if he's not that guy and you clearly know he's not that guy because he's not healthy or he just isn't pitching like a true number one by the time you get to the deadline, you're going to have to be willing to spend that capital. And that's where it comes down to will they be willing to kind of change their in-season model, which they haven't really done. They haven't really done a massive trade at the deadline since, what, Matt Holiday? And, and that's been a while. They've made some smart complimentary piece trades, like Quintana last year was a really good one. Montgomery was a nice complimentary piece trade that they did last year, too. They've never gone out there, and they've never swung for the fence at a deadline. And I, I think this team, if they're ifs hit offensively with the outfield and you know they get every the production from all these guys as these depth pieces like Nolan Gorman, guys like that, they have the potential where they're just missing an ace to where they could be a team that could go on a World Series run. And will they be willing to make that necessary trade at the deadline? We'll find out. They're putting the pressure on themselves because they've been speaking this big game. Well, what happens if you get to July and you don't make that move? Then then you're really hampering your team, to your point, to where it's possibly just you're getting out of the wild card round and that's it. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer. But next, David Paniota was the one that had the report on Mackenzie Weger potentially being available at the trade deadline. He's also been all over the Ivan Barbashev market. We'll talk to him about all of that coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex 
Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. There have been a lot of rumors here in St. Louis leading into the trade deadline. David Pagnota has been all over it, first with all of the Vladimir Tarasenko news, and now as we get fo- go forward with Ryan O'Reilly, Ivan Barbashev, potentially Nola Chari, David Pagnota of the fourth period joins us now here via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. David, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, gearing up for the next, what, 16 days, I think. Yeah, it's, of, uh, it, it feels like it's already crazy. been six months, David. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, tell me about it. Yeah, especially in the last week. Uh, a lot of activity, obviously. Tarasenko deal kind of leading things off. All the Chikrin stuff over the weekend. The Gabrikov now sitting out in Columbus. Uh, and just, just, yeah, just, just <laughs> a lot going on league-wide. And uh, it, it, it sure is exciting because usually... You know, it's the NBA that gets all the hype around their trade deadline season. And uh, for, for the hockey world, it's hype, 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 and then wah, wah. Well, it looks pretty good right now. Absolutely. So buckle up for the next 16 days leading up to that March 3rd trade deadline. Well, David, let's start with Ivan Barbashev because you've had the report that the asking price is a second-round pick and a prospect, and that has not dropped. And, of course, seven scouts in attendance last night. Barbashev goes off and has a goal and two assists. When you hear the second-round pick and prospect, does that feel, still feel like it's kind of the stuck and it's not moving from there? Or can you see that maybe move up to a first-round pick? Oh, I certainly can. I mean, it, you know, it really is going to come down to what teams get or, or I guess feel that itch and say, you know what, I don't want to mess around anymore. I don't want to wait till the 11th hour because if I lose him, I might lose out on a few other options. So let's just make this happen now. It, it's entirely possible, and that's, you know, the sticker price is a second and a prospect, but I mean, Doug's not going to say no if somebody's coughing up a first. Uh, so it really comes down to setting the market and then letting the buyers kind of basically bid against themselves to see how you can get the biggest return and, uh, and, and, and max the value. There is a ton of interest in Ivan Barbashev. Toronto kind of leads that charge. Tampa's in the mix. Boston's been kicking. I mean, all of the primary teams in a playoff position right now have reached out to find out, A, what's the price? And then once they have that understanding, okay, can we, can we get to that point? Um, or do we want to beat it? Or do we want to focus elsewhere? So there's a ton of interest in Ivan Barbashev. It sounds like he will be moved. It's just a matter of, again, when Doug Armstrong finds the right package that he's comfortable accepting. You think that'll be closer to the deadline? We, we've been talking about this, David, and it, it seems like Ivan Barbashev is the guy that is like, the secondary option for every team at every forward position. Like if you miss out on Ryan O'Reilly, he can be your backup center option. If you miss out on a Timo Meyer, he can be your backup option on the wing that can maybe score for you. Right. If you need some more grit, he can bring some of that to the table. Is he like the secondary option for every team right now? Basically. Uh, yes. And at the same time, he might be a primary option for some teams. Like he fits the mold of exactly what Tampa's looking for, for example, um, as well as Toronto. But, you know, the, the Leafs are kind of trying to make a big Grand Slam type acquisition here up front and, and are kind of spreading out their options across the board. Some teams like Tampa are narrowing down the type of player they're looking for, and Barbashev fits that mold quite nicely. Um, but some teams, again, may decide we want to wait a little to see if we can get either a similar type player Maybe it works better financially, and it's going to cost less. So that may result in, in things do getting pushed until closer to the deadline. 
um, either the day before or or the day of on March 3rd. It, it, again, it, it just comes down. Like some teams may just wake up one day and say, all right, enough of this. Let's just make this happen. And we've seen it. We've seen it before. Um, I'm, I'm sure, you know, if you're St. Louis with so many options and so many assets, you'd like to start getting the ball rolling on a few other guys having already moved out Mikola and Tarasenko. Uh, but because you have so many options right now, especially up front, uh, that there's a deeper pool in the forward market than there is on the defense. Uh, you understand that you might have to be a little bit more patient, and it may result in leading up to the deadline. So, David, speaking of Toronto, I was just having the conversation uh, with my co-host uh, in, in the break. You know, Toronto is an intriguing team if you're a Blues fan because of the capital that you could return if you trade a Ryan O'Reilly or an Ivan Barbashever. Honestly, both of them. And the player that right. I brought up was their top prospect or one of their top prospect, Matthew Neese. Apologize if I'm mispronouncing his name. Guy who plays for the University of Minnesota. Guy who a lot of scouts have said he could be in the NHL next season, a six foot three left winger. I know Kyle Dubas has said that they really don't want to trade that guy. But when it comes to an O'Reilly and or a Barbashev, is that kind of what could be in play for St. Louis in the return? Not from Toronto's side. Uh, Matthew Nyes is a player that um, they're tremendously high on. And everybody that I've spoken to in and around the organization has basically suggested there's no way they're moving him in the rental market. But if you get to a period where it's, it's a guy with term or it's somebody controllable, like Timo Meyer, for example. Um, he, or Kyle Dubas, rather, would be a lot more comfortable including a guy like Nice into that, into that mix, as well as Toronto's got a, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I've been trying to think about it the last few seconds. <laughs> Toronto has a very good young Finnish prospect, defensive prospect. Whatever his name is, uh, <laughs> kind of fits in that same boat. Um, they're, they're tremendously high on him. They don't want to kind of just give away. They don't, they also don't have the deepest of prospect pools. So for these kinds of kids, we're a team that is going to be cap strapped for the foreseeable future for the most part to bring in these types of, um, of assets, affordable assets to allow them to grow. It, it, it certainly helps when you're trying to stay in contention and keep your window open as long as possible. So, you know, for a guy like that, the Finnish kid, um, they, I, I don't see that being an option. Would they consider moving out, you know, a first-round pick um, as, as part of a package for, you know, an O'Reilly type, for example? They've got their first-round pick the next, you know, few seasons. I could see that being a possibility. I just don't think it would be a combo-type scenario where they would go prospect first plus in order to get someone like O'Reilly, for example. Topi Nimala, is that who you're talking about? That is our, yes, the sweet, so they have, there are two kids on this team that they are tremendously, tremendously high on. And, and Nimala is, that's the guy, thank you, is the guy that they're very high on on the back end. So you've got him, you've got Nice up front. Um, they, they've got a couple other pieces that it sounds like they'd be a little bit more, uh, or, or sorry, a little less reluctant to move in, in that type of scenario. But those are the two kids on Toronto's side that they're just, kind of drooling over. We call him Hockey Guy BK That's on right. our show, That's David. Right. Uh, David <laughs> Pagnota <laughs> joining us here on 101 ESPN. You can find his work over at The Fourth Period. It is excellent work. That's also how you can follow him on Twitter, at The Fourth, spelled out, period. Uh, David, I did want to ask you, one of the guys that you've been writing about a little bit over at The Fourth Period is Colton Pareko and the possibility that his name is coming up in trade discussions. David, what can you tell us on the likelihood 
that the Blues are actually willing to move Colton Pareko? Where where are the Blues at right now in those discussions, in your opinion? Yeah, it it sounds more so that teams are reaching out and and have reached out. I, I don't get a sense that anything is anywhere near imminent by any stretch. But, you know, this is a time of year where teams start to look at additional options. And, okay, if, if Chickering's out, if Carlson's not available, if this guy's out and that guy's out, well, maybe I need to be a little bit more creative and do a little fishing. And this is kind of where the Pareko talk has really been the last few weeks. It's not just the last few days. It's been a few weeks now where you're hearing teams just inquiring and seeing what the, what the cost might be and – would there be an appetite to properly explore this? Because you know, the other factor here is he's got a full no trade. So that, I mean, ultimately will be if they do get down um, the rabbit hole on this one and, and try to work something out, they'd certainly need to keep him prized of the situation to figure out, okay, would you even consider a move elsewhere because of his contractual status? But, again, this is the time of year. Teams reach out. Some things that you hear are going to be a little bit more far-fetched than others. I don't think... St. Louis would entertain the idea unless they're completely blown away with the prospect of, of an offer. Um, if you get down to that road, then you start applying a little bit of pressure on the player to say, hey, we want to switch things up a little bit. Would you consider waiving? I, I don't think we're, we're near that at this point, nowhere close. But I do know there have been teams that have reached out to, to kind of figure out Calgary was one of them um, to see would this even be a possibility worth exploring. You know, David, we've had a lot of these conversations, and I believe we asked you this about a month ago when you joined us, you know, how the Blues can turn this back around, because a lot of Blues fans have said, like, it's going to take a while. Like, you can't just turn this around for how bad they've been this season. A lot of it is because of the defensemen and where they're tied up in. In your opinion, if they go that direction where they're able to maybe ship out, and maybe it's not Pareko, maybe it's a Tory Krug or a Justin Falk, somebody that they've got on the defensive side, is that how they can turn this around quicker? It would help. Um, you know, it, it certainly would. When you look at, and, and I look to, to Vancouver, I'm not comparing the two situations because they're totally different. But in some of the messaging from Vancouver's management, specifically the president of hockey ops, Jim Rutherford, he indicated with their situation that in order for them to properly retool, they have to move money out. They need to have more flexibility in order to make changes that they'd like to make. In order to do so, they have to move money out. That's what they've been trying to do. In order to and, and St. Louis is much further along, I think, in terms of what they've got with their young core, with the goaltending, and, and, and everything on this team, quite frankly. Uh, but when you get to a scenario where you need to uh, fill some of the holes you've, you believe you had, it can't always be through free agency, and it's not always done through the system. You've got to be able to look to see how... I, I, I want to add this piece. This is the type of player that I think would benefit our club and fit well with our club. How do we make that happen? How can we create space? Well, you look at your options and you look at your roster and you go, okay, well, where's, where's an area of strength? We've got, you know, four defensemen really that make big dollars. If you include Nick Letty in there, um, who's a little bit older, certainly, but you look at them and you go, okay, there might be a scenario where we might have to move out one of these players in order to better ourselves from the long run. So that's where that kind of comes into play here. I haven't heard Falk, to be honest. Um, Krug, some whispers, but I think it falls into the same Pareko discussion of just inquiries and, and trying to see if there might be an appetite to, to explore that. But you're right. I mean, if you're looking at um, trying to expedite the retool process, which is something that Doug Armstrong would like to do, that's an option that he could certainly explore. 
So some of these conversations that you're talking about, David, would almost have to be a hockey trade because of the way that the cap is right now and so many teams being right up against it. When I hear about the possibility of a hockey trade, though, that almost feels like an offseason type of a discussion as as opposed to something that could happen in the here and now leading up to the March 3rd trade deadline. Are some of these exploratory conversations in your mind something where it's like, hey, Doug Armstrong is talking to all of these other general managers to set up what this offseason could bring? And then maybe some of these conversations are acted upon as we get closer to, you know, early July, late June. It happens all the time, every year. Um, This time of year, if you can't get something done by whatever the trade deadline is, you, you set some groundwork for discussions that could be explored down the road. They may say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at this again in the summer, and you don't really hear much. There's not a, a significant amount of communication, say, from April through May. But once June rolls around, you get closer to the draft. There's more of an itch to make changes. There's more of an opportunity to. Um, that definitely happens. It happens all the time. Um, so you could certainly see a scenario play out where things have started now, but they don't get to the finish line until draft time or, or right before or after uh, after free agency. I mean, you know, these types of hockey type moves, there's a lot of dominoes that have to fall in order for some of these things to happen. And with Calgary, for example, as a team that has at least reached out just to find out, you know, what would it take to even make this possible with respect to Pareko, that kind of was initiated for two things. One, they're in a lot of trouble in Calgary. Um, this season's not gone as well as they thought. There's a lot of uh, apprehension with respect to how this roster can continue moving forward. Some players have not done well. How can we retool on the fly, so to speak, to get this team back into contender status, not just from a playoff perspective, but one of the top three teams in their Pacific. So you look at that, you you hear about inquiries with respect to guys like uh, Jacob Chikrin or uh, Colton Pareko, because other teams are now creeping around. Like Ottawa, for example, has reached out to Calgary and said, if you get to a point where you need to make some serious changes and need to move out some money, we will take Mackenzie Weger away from you. He's got a brand-new eight-year extension that kicks in July 1 that includes a no-trade clause, complicates things at that point, gives Calgary a little bit of flexibility now to pursue these types of scenarios. So this is all part of the framework of not only trying to make something happen now if all the pieces come into play, or you continue that discussion in June closer to the NHL draft and you hope you can execute at that point. A Pareko for Uyghur framework of a deal, Panyota. Who says no there? <laughs> between between the two? I, um, I, I don't get the sense that uh, these two teams, St. Louis and Calgary, have discussed that potential. Um, but they should. They have, then, <laughs> then, then, right. I mean, if you're St. Louis, I would, certainly. Um, but, but uh, I mean, those are just some of the some of the things that have been you know kind of floating around right now. And I do know at least one team, like I said, Ottawa is a team that's made it known that if, if Calgary wants to move Mackenzie Weger in whatever or for whatever reason, they would not only take him but take the full contract too um, in, in some type of transaction. So if I'm St. Louis or another team and this is starting to get, you know, the winds are getting greater and greater and louder and louder, uh, I suspect that there'll be more inquiries from this player in Calgary. David, final thing. We'll get you out of here on this. We just got about a minute left here. 
Brock Besser is a name that's been brought up here in St. Louis a bit, just in terms of kind of the, the same kinds of discussions that you were talking about with Vancouver of, hey, if if the Blues decided to switch, make some like significant changes on their roster, is Besser a guy that would make sense? Probably not at the deadline, but maybe as we get closer into the offseason. Is he a guy that you expect to get moved as we get closer to the deadline, or do you think that's more of an offseason discussion for Besser as well? They're trying Vancouver has been trying for, for some time here to try to, to make something happen. Um, and, and to move out of, well, to, to augment the roster, which is exactly what they want to do. And the money situation, 6.65 million per year, that's something they'd like to do too. So much so that his agent, Ben Hankinson, um, has been fully engaged in this process and trying to help facilitate uh, a trade going back to Calgary. They had discussions as, as early, I mean, as late as yesterday, with respect to Besser and Luke Shen, um, we'll see how those kind of those discussions continue. But there is a lot of interest in Besser. It's just a matter of the money working out. I do know if Vancouver can find a way to get somebody in their first or second pair uh, on the right side of their defense and include Besser as the primary piece in some type of deal, hmm. I think that would be their primary objective. They'd love to be able to pull that off, quite frankly. I just don't know if that's realistic right now based on his performance this season. Hey, David, we appreciate the time, man. This has been great to be able to catch up. We'll talk with you again, hopefully, as we get closer to the trade deadline. Great work over at the fourth period. Uh, thanks so much for giving us a little bit of information today. You got it. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate thanks, David. It. You got it. That's David Pagnota joining us here on 101 ESPN, editor-in-chief over at the fourth period. You can also hear him on Sirius XM's NHL channel. Uh, T-Bone, we'll go ahead and double after this segment. I Let's let's react to some of what we just talked about with David here for just a moment, Alex, because, I mean, there's a million different things that you could go down in terms of like rabbit holes. Let's start with the last thing first, and then we'll get to some of the other stuff. If Vancouver called you and you're trying to switch things up, if I'd you're, say, why are you calling me? Doug Armstrong's <laughs> the one you want to talk to. You're, right? you're, ah! you're Doug Armstrong. Okay. And okay, I got you. Jim Rutherford gives you a call. Jimmy R. Says, hey, Army boy. A little bit more raspy, but okay. You interested in uh, Brock Besser? Absolutely. Who you uh, who you want for my team? Well, Army, uh, you know, our, our defensive core has been struggling lately, and we could really use a right shot defenseman. I know you've got a contract that you probably want out of I right now. I know where you're going with this. Colton Pareko for Brock Besser, no. <sighs> what if we said that we'll include a second-round pick in that? No. Okay. Because I make my forward group better, but my defense is worse. Right, can well, I interest you can it in really be that much worse, Army? Can I interest you in possibly a Tory Krug? No, we don't need a left-handed defenseman. We, we don't need either. a right-handed defenseman. Thanks for calling, though, Jimmy okay. R. All right, that doesn't right, make you a better team. I, I, I personally, I, I hung up. Jim Rutherford is off the phone. Okay, now let's let's do some more role play. All right, God, this is awesome. It's gonna uh, be exciting. Brad, your living is uh, giving you a call. Uh, ding, 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 ding. Wow, I need to change my ringtone. What's up, Brad? <laughs> Army! Oh my god, that sounds more like Jim Rutherford. Got a proposal for you, Army! Let's hear it, Brad. It sounds like you're struggling a little bit. We got his McKenzie Weger. <laughs> what do we get? Eddie uh, <laughs> uh What's his, uh, what's his, Ed Ogeron from the LSU? Weger over here. We just need to switch things up. We, uh, I don't know if you heard of the offseason. We had some stuff that happened around here in Calgary. I don't know. I can't do the voice anymore. It's hurting. <laughs> and we, we would like to, to make a proposal for you. We will send you Mackenzie Weger. You send us Colton Pareko. It's a straight swap. 
contract for contract, money works going in and out. It's basically the same. 6.25 mil over the next nine years for Uyghur, 6.5 mil for the next seven years for Colton Pareko. Can you give me 24 hours to think of it, Brad? All right, sure, yeah, yeah. Here's, here's my dilemma with this, and I understand David Peñota just said that he would do it in a heartbeat. Great, great deal if that was there. By the way, I think most of these are probably not happening. Yeah, I, I would be hesitant if I'm Doug because six foot six defensemen don't come along very often. And whatever you may feel about Colton Pareko, fine. I just truly believe this is an outlier of a season. I think on the right side, you're in a good spot. On the left side is where you need some help because you don't have a top defenseman on the left side. I'm not even asking for a number one defenseman. I'm asking for a top defenseman to play with two guys who last season were playing like top defensemen. Mackenzie Weger, who has played on the left side before, and could be a better upgrade over Colton Pareko. I, I I feel like I'm I'm where I'm at. I think Weger's a better trade. player than Pareko. Like just flat out full stop. If you told me which one would you rather have for the next See, six years, I, I'm taking Weger. I, I think Mackenzie Weger identifies a lot like Justin Falk. And to me, last year you had Justin Falk in the Norris Trophy candidacy, well, so that sounds pretty and good. And that's to me. great, but that's, but that's why I said six foot six defensemen don't come along often. Sure. If Justin Falk was playing like he was last season, this team might be in a better position that they Does were. Does Justin Falk play like he did last season? If you've got him paired with uh, Mackenzie Weger, but do and they? I know but do they play so Mackenzie Weger with yeah. him? That, I mean, I would imagine in this scenario, Mackenzie Weger's playing with Nick Letty or Tori Krug because you shipped out a right-handed Maybe. defenseman and you need a right-handed defenseman. That's why I'm so hesitant with it. If it was offered, I have no idea where they go with this. But I would view this as there are certain skill sets that Colton Pareko possesses that a lot of people say, well, he doesn't use them. Understandably so. That's why I feel like this is an outlier to where you can get another guy who plays well and is probably a better defenseman. But you don't find six foot six defensemen that play the way that Colton Pareko plays when he's on his game around very often. So I think I would say no. The reason I bring up any of this stuff is like the hockey trade type of things is not because I think anything is likely to happen at the trade deadline. I don't. I don't think any of these deals are going to be offered. I don't think any of these deals are going to be accepted as we get closer to the trade deadline. I do think these are the kinds of moves that become available in the offseason. And as you look at Brock Besser, Mackenzie Weger, whoever the player is that you want to bring up in discussions, maybe the Maple Leafs go into the offseason, Alex, and they're coming off of another first round loss. And they say, we've got to we've got to change things up here. We have too many guys that are making too much money. And William Nylander suddenly becomes available. Oh, I'll take him. Who do I got to trade for him? Exactly. Like weird stuff happens, man. Last year, Matthew Kachuk was traded. Mackenzie Weger was traded. Jonathan Huberto was traded. That was in one trade. And we both thought, teams have underperformed this season, which 100%. is wild to say. Maybe Matthew Kachuk becomes available. Oh, I don't think wow. so. But maybe like weird stuff happens now in the NHL, especially with the flat cap and teams getting crunched underneath it. So if you're the Blues... As we get closer to the trade deadline, my goal would be open up as much flexibility. So when those conversations start in the offseason, you're a part of every single one of them because you become remember last year, Keith Law said, hey, the Cardinals have the ability with their prospects to trade for any player in Major League Baseball. The Blues would become that team in the NHL that if they make the deals, including Ryan O'Reilly and Ivan Barbashev and whoever else you want to send out at the deadline, any of the other UFAs, they suddenly have, maybe it's three first-round picks, a couple of seconds, and some prospects available to them that get them involved in every discussion in the NHL. Every, every team that is making a trade first calls the Blues to find out what they're willing to part with. 
That's why I think the NHL trade deadline is so significant for them. It's less about what that means for the rest of this season and more about what it opens up for the offseason. Yeah, it's absolutely correct. And he David's spot on with the Blues kind of being in a Vancouver Canucks position to where you got to ship money out before you can actually officially make this a retool. You can start that by drafting in the top 10, top eight, however you end this season. But you add on to that by opening up some flexibility and seeing what's available to you. The problem becomes how difficult is it to move those pieces out? Because as soon as you hit the draft, teams know that you need to open up cap space. And that's where they ask for a King's ransom. And that's where Doug gets into the spot that says, I'm making my team worse uh, by making a trade like this. In 15 minutes, we're getting into more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one is more likely. But coming up next, is Paul DeYoung battling for a spot on the Cardinals roster this year? John Mozalock sure seemed to indicate as much earlier today here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. When I bring up this name, don't shoot me. But, you know, I think like Paul DeYoung has an opportunity in this camp to show that he can be a contributor. It's important. He's had a very different offseason. We're excited about where he is. And so I think that's someone that that it, it's not a new name that we're talking about. But I'm certainly excited what he, to see what he looks like and can he help us in, in 2023, which I believe he can. That was John Mosellock earlier today on the opening drive. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about five minutes or so, we'll dive into more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely. By the way, the junk drawer is typically brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trash wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out seven days a week. We skipped it today, unfortunately, due to the time constraints and us going along with David Panyota. Alex, I want to react a little bit to what we just heard there from John Mosellock. Okay. When you heard that, that quote from him, just the first line, you knew where he was going with it. Don't shoot me, but you knew where that was going. What was your immediate reaction? That Paul DeYoung might might not have a job with the Cardinals out of spring training. That Paul DeYoung might be starting the season for the Memphis Redbirds, which seems insane to say because we know how this goes. You're making money. I don't think he has any options anymore. No, I don't I think, think so. last year was the last time they could send him down. So he'd have to go through waivers if they were going to do that. Okay. And I don't think you're going, I don't think you do that because you put him through waivers. You're still paying him $9 yeah. million. Dollars, so, well, but if somebody outperforms Paul DeYoung, you're not going to clog up that roster spot. Like Ali Marmol has said it as much. Like if you, if you deserve to be on this team, you'll be on this team. It's a big spring training for Paul DeYoung. And even if he performs, if somebody else performs that they want more of, let's just use Lil Poppy for an example. If Moises Gomez is out here mashing, you think they're going to sit there and say, yeah, but Paul DeYoung's getting $11 million. We'll send this 40 home run potential back down into the minors. I, I, I just, hearing that seems very different than what we usually hear from John Mazalek about Paul DeYoung. Here's my problem. And this is roster construction more than anything else. And this is not me caping for Paul DeYoung. I want to say that one more time. This is not me saying that Paul DeYoung is going to be a great player in 2023. Run it back for good measure. If you don't have him, who is your utility infielder that can play shortstop? Not named Tommy Edmond. Brennan Donovan? Do you feel comfortable with that? No, but I don't... I mean, am I really going to keep a guy on this roster where I need offense for somebody who is only a defensive player? I think so because your other spots on the bench 
are mostly for offense. Let me tinfoil you a bit here because I saw, I forgot who tweeted the picture out, but I saw that Juan Yepes was taking rounders at second base. What if they really are looking at this as, let's see who else can do second base for us this season so that Brendan Donovan can be a utility player? Well, I'll just say now that yeah, this tinfoil never happened. Well, so how would he be taking grounders at second base then? Because I think and it's just a generic spot where they take be, grounders. And the problem continues to be short. I, 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 that's where Brendan Donovan comes into play. I, he's I think not a starting view, shortstop. In Major I think they League view baseball. Brendan Donovan the way that they viewed Tommy Edmond a couple of years ago, where he could play anywhere on the diamond. Except short. I don't feel comfortable with Brendan Donovan starting regularly at any point during this season at shortstop. The only guy not named Tommy Edmond on this roster that I feel comfortable being an everyday shortstop, and this is exclusively defensively. This is not talking about what he brings to you offensively. If Tommy Edmond was down on like a 15-day IL stint this year, 10-day IL stint, whatever, the, the guy that should start for you at shortstop is Paul Young because you feel comfortable with him making the routine plays, making the necessary plays defensively at short. That is exclusively about their roster setup right now, but that, that's why I think he ends up making this team regardless of how he hits coming out of spring training. That's where I stand on this. See, Do you guys disagree with that? I, part I disagree there. I, I now I don't think I don't think you don't care if Paul DeYoung is hitting like you know two ten two twenty shows some power. Even if Gomez hits like five home runs, Gomez will be sent down because of that roster construction that we're talking about to where they'll need Paul DeYoung. I don't think it's a matter of anybody outperforming Paul DeYoung for a roster spot. I think it's just Paul DeYoung showing he looks somewhat capable of being on the major league roster in terms of with his offense. If he doesn't hit and he looks like he did last year at the plate, I think they're cutting bait. I, I don't think they're going to wait around. I don't think they care about the roster construction at that point in time. I think what they will do is they will say, okay, well, we brought in someone like a Jose Fermin, who you don't feel comfortable with, but he's going to be on the big league roster. And if we need to, in a pinch, I think you feel comfortable with Brendan Donovan at shortstop for a handful of games. If it's a 10-day stint for Tommy Emmon on the IL, or it's just, you know, a Tommy Emmon needs a day off, we'll shift Donovan over to short and we'll put Gorman at second base. I think they'll approach it that way. I, I think Paul DeYoung has to at least show some capabilities offensively for them to justify having him on the opening day roster. If not, I, I don't think he'll be in Memphis. I think they're just going to DFA him and then just release him and cut him out of that contract. Do you know what Jose Fermin did last year in AAA offensively? In AAA. Oh, I know, I know he wasn't good. I, I'm just using him as an example because I know he's but the guy that was brought option. in. And, and you're, you're right. That's your backup. That's and your they, backup plan. And to, to, to give these numbers, Alex, because I think it's important to know what the alternative is. The alternative to Paul DeYoung is a guy that hit 215 with an on-base plus slugging percentage last year of 650, and he did that in AAA last year. That is your alternative at the big league level as a backup shortstop to Paul DeYoung. Paul DeYoung, I, I would be absolutely shocked, shocked if he doesn't make the opening day roster. And, and that is regardless of what he looks like offensively during spring training. If you get midway through the season and Mason Wynn looks good and he looks like he's prepared, at, at a minimum defensively prepared to go and can be somebody that is ready to go offensively for you at at the major league level, then maybe we're having this conversation with Paul DeYoung by July of DFAing him and moving on to the next guy at shortstop. I don't think that conversation is happening in spring training, even after hearing what John Mosellock had to say earlier today. See, I, I think if DeYoung doesn't hit, I, I don't think Fermin will be the guy because I, I just threw his name there because I know he was brought in as the a only depth guy. There is nobody I else. think Donovan will be the guy. I, I think they will view Donovan as the backup shortstop if you don't carry Paul DeYoung. And I think what you can do, 
I mean, you could go find a guy at the trade deadline or trade for somebody at the end of spring that maybe gets DFA'd that you bring in here or whatever. But, but that's a Fermi, and it's the same thing. I, I think I think in the name. I think if you're if you if DeYoung does not hit, I don't think he's on the roster come opening day, and they will say, okay, for now, Donovan will be our backup shortstop. And you if honestly believe that, yes, I I would trust Brendan Donovan to be a backup backup shortstop. If Edmund gets hurt. I mean, you're bleeped either way, in my opinion. Paul DeYoung, you're bleeped because his but offense Paul production DeYoung, there. You know, you know, defensively, like there's a lot of teams that have his, somebody in their lineup. His lack of offense last year did not make up for his his glove. Yeah. I mean, you're, it, it you're clogging but, up a spot fine. to where First, you could use somebody me. else. His well, glove did make up for his lack of offense. I understand what you're saying. What I'm saying is, if there's a lot of teams in Major League Baseball that have one spot in their lineup that is exclusively devoted, including contenders towards defense and Paul DeYoung should never be a starter at shortstop for you if he's not hitting I understand that but if you went through a 15-day period where you don't have Tommy Edmond I think he would be well, your starting shortstop but what's the difference of Paul DeYoung playing shortstop and Brennan Donovan if you can see him play shortstop and be okay with it because I think you get worse defensively at two spots there well, you how do you Brendan know that Donovan- because I know Nolan Gorman is worse defensively at uh, second base than Brendan Donovan and I know that but if his bat plays and he's able to get you the outs I, mean, I don't know that he can regularly. I, between with those two in the I middle just, infield and no shift this year, I think I think you're one of the worst defensive middle infields in baseball at that point in time. The I other disagree. thing that I would add is that I don't believe, until proven otherwise, that this team is going to eat eleven million dollars at the beginning of a season. We've seen them do this midway through a season. Johnny Peralta, that one immediately comes to mind as being a pretty solid comparison to what could happen midway through this year with Paul DeYoung coming out of tr- spring training. I could see him. I can't remember them doing something like that. I could see him put him through waivers, not get claimed, and say we want him to go to Memphis to continue getting reps so that when we need him, he's ready for it. I can absolutely see them say that because they're going to keep the faith in Paul DeYoung. If he struggles or if somebody has a better look that has options that they say we want to see him at the beginning of the season, see if he can carry over that hot streak from spring training into the regular season, and Paul DeYoung's not that guy, well, we'll figure it out because guess what? Tommy Evans is going to be healthy at the beginning of the season. And we've got the options. Paul DeYoung's not hitting. This individual is. Let's send him down. If he clear, if he doesn't clear waivers, then guess what? Ding, ding, ding. There's $11 million that we've got figured out. But if he doesn't clear, then he's going to go to the Memphis Redbirds, and he's going to play, and he's going to get the reps. And then when we need him, he'll be available. That, to me, is Cardinals thinking. I, I don't think they'd send a guy down to Memphis making $11 million, $9, million, whatever the number is. But I, I don't think they would send it down. I, I think if you if he doesn't hit, I, I think you cut bait. I, no, I, think that, I don't see them cutting bait. I, I just can't see them paying. They didn't want to do it last year, and they just ultimately ended up having to do it, and he had options left. I, I don't think they want to send him back down to Memphis. He, he has nothing to prove left in Memphis. Can I argue against myself now here for a moment? Somebody on the text line well, said, so what you're really saying is that the backups in the middle infield are very poor. I don't think it's the middle infield. I think it's it's second base where, or excuse me, at shortstop where your backup is poor. Maybe what happens? Maybe this is it. Jose Iglesias is still not assigned with anybody yet this year. If you get midway through spring training and Paul DeYoung is not performing, and Jose Iglesias is still out there, and I don't know if he will or won't be, but there's there's still a chance that he will be. If he's out there and he says, "Hey, I'll, I'll come sign with you guys for five million bucks to be a backup shortstop and be like a." What essentially you had last year with Brendan Donovan as a utility infielder, that's one that could make some sense for you. Don't and you in have, that scenario, maybe you do end up going ahead and sending him down. Don't you and, have Kramer Robertson still on your team? He's he's not a I mean, he's Paul DeYoung offensively. So you're worse defensively, you have no pop, and now you're mm-hmm. you're in the same spot that you would be with Paul DeYoung. I think what happens here is we 
we overestimate how bad Paul DeYoung is because of the contract. If Paul DeYoung was making a million dollars going into this season, he's basically Jose Fermin that has done it at the major league level at a higher level than Jose Fermin has. I think I'd still be talking about him on the roster for a dude who hit 100 last season. I know, but in AAA, he did much better than what Jose Fermin did. And Jose Fermin was terrible offensively. There's a difference between AAA and, and the big leagues, though. And that's and that's why it's just, I don't know. It just, to me, when I look at it, with all of these ifs on your team that you're trying to figure out, it seems to be very odd that you would say, yeah, but we need this because of his defense when we're trying to figure out who all of these guys are on my team. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we're talking to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. But next, more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Oh, baby. That one felt good today. Mm. Alongside Alex Blues are going to the playoffs. Playoffs? Let's hope we can win a game. I'm hoping for a top 10 pick. Same, buddy. Top five. I did a. Uh, Top five would be nice. I did an NHL mock draft simulator. Um, one click, Connor Bedard. Really? Oh yeah, like that. The percentages just keep on rising. Here's a question for you, random. Oh, okay. If like you were that. able to get the number one pick and you got Connor Bedard, who would you trade that for? Like, if every player in the NHL was made available to every you, player was. How many players around the league would you be like? You know what? I will trade the rights to Connor Bedard for blank. Include the salary, all that. Maybe this is a, a topic for another day, but it's a it good, it's a good to topic, though. Um, I don't know if I would trade it. I don't know if I for, would trade for it. Anybody? I don't know if I would trade. And I know Vasilevsky like, is available, but you said, but you said, oh, I got Bennington. I don't need Vasilevsky. <laughs> but <laughs> you said, worst. you said, con, you said money's involved. Yeah, and I got a dude for the next three years who's going to be seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I mean, it's who could be the best player in the league, and could be is the hard part there. Because I, I seriously debated, like, I need a top defenseman who's out there that I could go after. Leon Dreisaitl would be a really nice one. I know he's not a defenseman, but I'd love to have him. Kale McCarr. Like, they, obviously, yeah. Colorado's never going to make Kale McCarr available say, yeah, in such Kale a situation. McCarr, if, if, if they would agree to it, yeah, I'd have to say Kale McCarr would be the guy. Oh, see, I, I think I would say hold on to the pick just because, like you said, I mean, you but have the what chance. what if he's not? That's the uh, one question. I. What I know, if he's Nail Yakupov? He, when was the last time a player in the NHL got this kind of hype and then disappointed? Yakupov never had this kind of hype. Um, honestly, did Ryan Nugent? Because like Nugent Crosby's first overall. I don't remember. Who, yeah, but I don't remember him having the same buzz as Bedard. Uh, he had a pretty Feels significant like Matthews, buzz. Uh, David, Taylor Hall, Crosby, Crosby, Taylor Hall, Nugent Hopkins. I mean, those I, I, are two. Honestly, Hall it's all again, Edmonton like, Oilers. You've named two guys Taylor that I was Hall alive had for. All of the hype around him. I, I don't remember Hall having that much hype. Taylor Hall was a big time player. I don't remember him being like this. This is like well, I don't remember him coming out of the draft going. For. I don't remember him coming out of the draft. Nineteen eighty two Taylor Hall. He could be MVP next year. Ta- I, I'm trying to look up his numbers in the minors, but like Taylor Hall was putting together a performance that I, I, I mean, Taylor Hall had 106 points in 57 games in one year in junior hockey, and, and I mean he had hype. Here's a random one for you, Alex. Okay. Matthew Kachuk was made available. <laughs> no, I'm not trading my. I love Matthew Kachuk, but I'm not trading really? Connor Bedard for Matthew Kachuk. 
Not really? I mean, the, really? the dude could potentially be Sidney Crosby, I Connor McDavid. I think Bedard McDavid. could be better than Kachuk. Could be. And now we're saying we want to trade him for Kachuk? Yeah, I mean, you got to understand. The money is where it gets tough. You got to understand, you've only had one first overall draft pick in your history. And you, you didn't do well with it. To get a guy who is as highly touted as a Crosby McDavid? Yeah. I Take an know. Adam Fox? No. God, no. Really? Yeah. Oh, no. man, what I would give. Adam Adam Fox is a great offensive defenseman. Adam Fox is okay defensively. That's all right. I'll take the offense. Yeah, I'll take the offense from Connor Bedard at the league oh, minimum man. for three years. Okay. All right, that's interesting. All right, more likely to happen. Draft him, sign him to a 10-year deal worth $7 million per year. I want to ask this to Chris Kerber. We'll do that in about five minutes or so. Uh, more likely to win the starting outfield position on opening day. Lars Newpar or Jordan Walker? Lars Newpar. Same. I think it's probably going to be Newpar. I, yeah. I think they want Walker to win one of the jobs, but I, it's going to be tough. He's going to have to really play well. I will stick to this. Jordan Walker I, is going to play at least one month in the minors. I am fascinated. Mo brought this up on the morning show this morning, and I didn't think anything about it because I just assume he's starting. I still think he's going to start. How does it hurt Lars Newpar if he's not the starter for Team Korea at the WBC? Because he's Mo not going to get at bats. Yeah, I know, and that's what it raised my. Because like he didn't just Mo just doesn't say that, okay? Yeah. Mo doesn't just say, "Hey, you know, we support our guys going." You know, Lars though, for example, what if he's not starting? He could use those at bats. If he doesn't get at bats, I, I mean, you want to talk about opening the door for what? Walker? Why'd you say it like that, Lars? Lars Newtbar. In all seriousness, it is a real concern. Um, I, I totally get why Lars Newtbar would accept this. It's a huge But he's going to get honor. the playing time. I is don't he? know if he will. I, yeah. I don't. I, I can't speak to the players that are on that roster. I have no idea about any of those outfielders, really. And if they are viewing Lars Newtbar as being the fourth outfielder, I don't think that would shock anybody given the fact that he was just asked to be on this team in the middle of last season, a lot of these guys train with the team. So I, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting, man. I, if that ends up happening, I don't think it changes how they feel about him. I do think that it puts him a little behind the eight ball though in, in spring training. Agreed. So it'd be interesting to see how that potentially impacts him as they get further along, more likely to win the super bowl out of the AFC next year, the chiefs or literally any other team out of the AFC. No, I'll go any other team. I would yeah, take the field. I'll, I'll go any other team. I would take the field. There's a lot it's of good so other hard. teams. I just like the field. It's but, so hard yeah. to go back to back, man. I, I Ask me that question after the offseason, though, because if they've got DeAndre Hopkins on their team, that might feel a little different. I would I would agree with you there. I, I think right now I would take the field just because there's so many good teams in the Great AFC. Great offensive line, best tight end in the game, best quarterback in the game, young running back who established himself, and then you put DeAndre Hopkins on that roster. The last team to go back-to-back in the NFL was? Patriots. Patriots, 2004-05. It's been 17 years. It is so hard, so hard to make it to the mountaintop in back-to-back seasons. It makes me feel old because I feel it's like hard to even get yesterday. Back to the Super Bowl, much less to win it the following year uh so yeah i would take the field yeah. it's it's incredibly difficult to do to accomplish what they were able to do this year i'm down over there gramps 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line more likely to win more games this year in the nl central the brewers or the cubs i'm taking the brewers i think the cubs hype has gone a little too far yeah i'll, I'll take the brewers just because of the pitching but man I, Cubs might be a sneaky team. I don't think they're making the playoffs, but they could steal a lot of games away from teams in the NL Central, I think, because they've got the offense. If everybody clicks, you got a good offense, and pitching pitching's not great, but it's okay. 
I would say Brewers too. I, I think the only way the Brewers finish with less wins than the Cubs is because they have a injury season with their top three guys. Like Peralta last year dealt with a lot of injuries. If he's dealing with injuries, I think is it Woodruff that has the numbness in his fingers sometimes. If he's dealing with that again and Burns gets hurt, that's the only way I see the Brewers winning less than the Chicago Cubs. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll hit the rewind. But next, Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Who would he trade the rights to Connor Bedard? Four in the NHL. You point to me. I was, I was drawing a blank. I was going to say, wait, wait, what happened? Connor man? Bedard for everybody in the NHL. Who's he taking in return for that? We'll talk to Chris Kerber about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We're going out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber here on BK and Ferrario curbs. How you doing today, man? Brandon doing good. How are you uh, doing? Very well. Blues doing pretty well coming out of the break two and oh, after uh, the 11 day break for them uh, curbs. Have you noticed anything in particular that has stood out to you so far in their first two games back? Just playing straight line, simple hockey, making smart plays with the puck to me. And, and, you know, I've noticed these first two games, especially with Braden Shen on the line, you know, we've seen some really good hockey out of Jordan Cairo. Uh, and, and frankly, his defensive play, I think, has led to, you know, three or four of the goals that have been scored, even if he didn't figure in from a goal scoring or assist standpoint. So that's just one example of how when one line feeds the next, the next line comes over, does the same thing, and you get more of that relentless style of hockey that we have been so used to seeing under Craig Berube, and I think we've seen that fairly well here in the first two games out of the break. Speaking of that, Curves, Joey and I talked about it on post game last night. One line that I have loved to watch since the return, and honestly since the trade, has been uh, Ivan Barbashev, Nolachari, and Sammy Blay. Uh, the impact that Sammy Blay has had in two games, not just talking about the goal, but just the physicality and the uh, presence on the ice, it seems to have rubbed off on a lot of other players. Well, I, I actually... I mean, you're talking about a line with the two guys in Barbashev and Achari that lead the Blues in hits. Achari leads the Blues in hits, and Ivan Barbashev is second. And I think you could make the case even that over the course of this year, there has probably been no more consistent forward for the Blues all year than Noel Achari. So when you acquire Sammy Blay, who hadn't been playing much, who had lost some confidence because of the way he was being handled in New York, and now he comes in. Craig Berube right off the bat puts him on that number two power play unit. He puts him on a line and says, we know how you play. Go do it. They basically said, go play with two other guys that we know are going to hit and play hard every shift. And I want you to hit and play hard every shift. I don't know if that's so much because it's Sammy Blay. I just think that it's putting a player in a good spot, you know, to have his game successful. And that man, that's something that Craig Berube really for the most part has done extraordinarily well since taking over you know, the, the Blues coaching reigns in 2018. You know, it's just he has found ways to put guys in positions to be successful. And sometimes that's a young player in the press box. Sometimes it's a young player on the third line. Give him a couple bits of candy up on the, the, the top two lines. But whatever it is, he's found a way. And, and it's been a very good fit through two games for Sammy Blake, playing a very simple, hard-nosed style. 
Chris Kerb, the voice of the blues, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, uh, we were just having a conversation in, in our last segment, and it's a little more big picture, as we've had a lot of conversations big picture-wise with the blues uh, lately. Connor Bedard is is a phenom, and everybody's discussing what he can be in the NHL. He's the overwhelming favorite right now to be the number one pick. Kerbs, uh, I don't know how much you've heard or read or listened to about Connor Bedard but if his if the rights to Connor Bedard were available in a trade, it's like the number one overall pick was available, right? And it was made available to every other team in the NHL. Let's say the Blues had that pick and they could trade it to literally anybody for any player. All players were made available. How many players would you want in return for that? Like if I said, hey, you could have player X, Y, and Z for Connor Bedard's rights. How many players are you taking back in return? Uh, you, you mean how many am I am I giving up? No, so or I have let, it. In- let me frame this a better way. The Blues get the number one overall pick. They've got Connor Bedard in their sights, or they could okay. trade the rights to Connor Bedard to gotcha. you know Colorado for Kale McCarr or to uh, Florida for Matthew Kachuk. How far down on that list are you getting before you say nope? I would rather have the rights to Connor Bedard. Uh, well, you know what? To me, you're looking at an Eric Lindros type haul. Okay. So if you go back to when Eric Lindros was drafted first overall and, and he gets drafted first overall by Quebec and the Nordiques and even said, I'm not playing for you guys. So don't even bother. And the Nordiques said, Oh, that we're drafting you anyway. Okay. And then, and there were, there were two different deals that were actually done and it actually had to go to arbitration. And, and, and the deal that apparently got done first was the deal, you know, that, that they ended up, uh, you know, that they ended up making with the Philadelphia Flyers. Well, when you look at the Flyers that got Eric Lindros, look, he went down as one of the best all-time Philadelphia Flyers, and unfortunately, concussions really did a did a job derailing his career. But the haul that they got from Quebec, you know, that starts with with Peter Forsberg and, and company, uh, is, is the is the one to me that that set the Colorado Avalanche on two Stanley Cup championships. So, um, were you if if you have the chance to get. And, and right now it doesn't cost you anything because you've had a bad season. You're picking, you're picking Bedard first. That haul is going to have to be, you know, a, a a three or four top level style. You know, you, you're you're talking about something where you're giving up three or four first round picks in a row, you know, to to get them and that kind of thing. So it, it would be an absolutely massive haul for that to happen. I know it's pure uh, hypothetical, Scars. Could you see it? About. Could you? Could you see a team do that at the draft? If somebody has that potential of drafting Connor Bedard, uh, a team willing to give up that type of haul for it? No, I, I don't right now. And, 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 and it's not so much because I don't think some people wouldn't be curious to try, you know, almost the Mike, what was it? Mike Ditka with the, was it Mike Ditka with the new Orleans saints that gave up his entire draft to get Ricky Williams. Right. So if I, if I remember that right. So like, but I look at the teams right now, that, that could get him. I, I look at the Columbus Blue Jackets. I look at the Anaheim Ducks. Um, you know, I look at the Chicago Blackhawks. Hell, I look at the St. Louis Blues in that sense. And I can't see any one of those teams getting a big enough haul from another team to to make that worth it. You know, I mean, cause in, in all fairness, there was no way that the, the Quebec Nordiques were trading Eric Lindros, except for the fact that he demanded it and said, I'm never going to play for you, right? So, in that sense, those teams that would be picking Bedard first, it's like it really is like the Edmonton Oilers 
and there's a feeling as him being a generational player. It's like the Edmonton Oilers not picking Connor McDavid. You know, I mean, this isn't a this isn't a Toronto Maple Leafs getting you know a Nylander or you know or somebody like that uh, with a slightly later pick. This is this is a guy that really is a consensus top stud, and I just. Man, it's fun to think about it. I love, I love the topic. I really do. So, I just I cannot see one of those teams giving it. I can't see one of those teams saying any package is big enough not to claim them. So here's like a, a putting a name on it, right, Curbs? If it, let's say the Blues ended up with the number one pick, they won the lottery. They had like the sixth, seventh best right. odds, and they ended up getting the number one overall pick in this year's draft. They've they've got the opportunity to draft a generational player. And the Florida Panthers call and they say, we'll give you the hometown here. Matthew Kachuk uh, is available to you. You got to take on that whole contract, but Matthew Kachuk is available. We'll give you him for the the rights to the number one pick. If you're Doug Armstrong, Matthew Kachuk's 24 years old, but he's also very expensive. Are you doing that? Or is it going to take like significantly more than a guy like Matthew Kachuk, who's one of the best players in the NHL, to be able to get that number one overall pick this year? Oh, no, I think it's I think it's taken. It, it's going to take you more than that. You know, it, it's me. Yeah, I mean, it would it, it would take a Matthew Kachuk and a and a Verhage and, and a couple other players. To me, for example, like you know, you, you you'd be talking like you'd be talking more like a like like take the Edmonton Oilers. You'd be saying, okay, let's start with Drysaitel, add Darnell Nurse in, and let's see who your top prospects are, right? You you know. But what it, are the it, odds it, it, that he it, actually becomes that good, Curbs? That's what I think is crazy. Like, I, I'm not even saying you're wrong. You're right. But the odds that he becomes anything like a dry sidle are in like minuscule to say the least. Okay, so I have to, so oh uh, man, not not Alexi Zhitnik. I'm trying, I'm trying to think. Um, uh, I'm blanking on his name. The New York Islanders forward that was taken first overall. It was really one of the last real first overall busts as a forward. I I, I go back up, Alexi Yashin. I believe his name. I think yeah. I think it was Alexi Ashen, right? Yeah. Okay. It was. And then and then I I go to I go I go to another trade. You know, it was it, it was uh, you know the Islanders. I believe the Islanders traded. Was it the Islanders? Yeah, the, the Islanders traded the first overall pick to the Pittsburgh Penguins, and then the Penguins with that pick ended up taking Mark Andre Fleury, um, or was it the Panthers? What one of those in, in that situation it was the Panthers happened? That there? Traded for traded the, the pick. Yeah. Okay. All right, and then and then look what Mark Andre Fleury became, and, and what he meant to that Pittsburgh. Very few times is the first overall pick a true bust. You know, I'm watching Aaron Ekblad play last night for the Florida Panthers, and and he, sometimes the expectations of a defenseman. You know, I, I, obviously Eric Johnson was not the right pick for the St. Louis Blues when you look at what Stahl and what Jonathan Taves have become. But then you look at the whole picture of Eric Johnson's career, now a Stanley Cup champion, and, and he wound up being a hell. Like he was not a bust of a hockey player, right? Just not. And, and so, to me, I think when you see enough hockey people that look at his overall skill, yeah, could it? Could something go? Could could it? Maybe he not be quite as good. Yeah, but even if even if he's not quite as good as what people think he's going to be. It's hard to imagine him not still being one hell of a hockey player here. This one doesn't. This, I, I actually understand what you're saying, BK, a lot. This one doesn't feel like it's got question marks of bust on it, if that makes sense. Like it doesn't. There's a lot fewer question marks on that one. Um, you know, go 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 back to you know if, if you were if you were the Winnipeg Jets and when you took Patrick Liney, right, second overall. Uh, you know, that's still a hell of a hockey player. It didn't pan out for you, but it's a hell of a hockey player. Yeah. 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure that teams are really going to trade a whole bunch of. I'm not sure the Winnipeg Jets were willing to even give up that second pick because Patrick Lining, some people consider him to be a first overall pick. But to your point, to your point, a very fair point. Like the, the draft is always a bit of a gamble, but it, it just doesn't seem that uh, that this would be it. Now I will. I will show throw you one quick fun nugget to you. I was I was told by a former general manager in the National Hockey League, a GM that put a Stanley Cup team together that was up there watching the World Junior Championships that said Connor Bedard was without a doubt the best forward in that age group, right? She said Jimmy Snuggerud was probably the second best forward, and the Blues already have him as a prospect. I thought that was kind of a cool statement right. that he made. So Bedard and Snuggerud, future Blues. I like it, Curbs. Somebody on the text line said Alex would say no if Pareko was straight up for Bedard. Curbs, <laughs> we appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy yourself this weekend. Enjoy that Devils game, and we'll talk with you again soon. Yeah, boy, Alex is just a pinata for the day. <laughs> Seems about right. <laughs> it's Chris Kerber, voice right, of the Blues. Boys, always appreciate his time. Curbs here on the show. Hey, I'm set to fulfill my punishment. Alex has done his all day long today working with Last us. Two days. After losing a week during the Pick'em Challenge this year, I'm taking my polar plunge on Saturday. It's right around 1 o'clock. Special thanks to the Special Olympics of Missouri for helping to coordinate this. If you want to check out any of the details, 101ESPN.com is where you can find it. You can join me taking the plunge over at Creve Coeur Lake. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. I'm going to go watch the Chiefs Super Bowl parade now. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. here on one. ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.